available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the Scout.com 247 network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCfootball.com, the USC site on the Scout.com 247 network. And we are the Podcast of Champions talking Pac-12 football. This week, we'll preview Week 10. We're going to recap what was kind of an ugly Week 9. Lots of blowouts in one just game I don't even know how to describe. We'll talk about all that. Um <laughs> we'll try to figure it out in the next few minutes. Yeah. Uh, if you want to email us, we'd love to get your questions. you got a bunch coming in again. Um, thank you so much for sending them in. Pac12podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us. Uh, we're trying to tweet a little bit more at Pac12podcast. A little snark there if you like that sort of thing. And our website where you can find all our old shows and our picks and uh, Podcast of Champions rankings and all that is Pac12podcast.com. Dot com and a voicemail. You can leave us a voicemail and we'd love to play it on the air for you. Four, uh, 641 715 3900 extension 734972. Please subscribe on iTunes. Uh, tell your friends if they're Pac 12 football fans, let them know. Hey, we're talking about the whole Pac 12. I, I, I looked around, Dave. I don't think anyone else does this. There were some. They kind of went away. They've hard to keep consistent doing it. We haven't even been that consistent, but we're at least here. Hey, we're still that. here. Don't say that. Don't say that. Yeah. We've been so consistent. In the season we we've have, this, yeah. We've done this three straight seasons. Yes. Yeah, off-seasons and off-season. Whatever. Right. We're so consistent. We're like a like a clock. Yeah. <laughs> Clocks sometimes aren't consistent, but we're like something that's really consistent, and that's the most <laughs> important thing. We will uh, – We're and our plan – no, we usually plan to do this, but we do plan to uh, have a consistent off-season, so uh, at least <laughs> once a week. How, how, many, how many years have we said that in a row? Like, I think probably our first year – we I think our did. first year we started in the off season, so it was pretty consistent. But literally after that, we, yeah. Anyway, we're definitely going to be um, making an effort to be somewhat more consistent this off season. Yeah, um, we only have four weeks of uh, so this is week ten coming up, right? So yep, uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, Crazy how fast uh, the season's going by. The the power rankings are a mess. They're all over the place. Another new number one team. Even though the number one team didn't lost, they didn't win. I mean, didn't lose. They just look like butt. A um, few things. So we talk about it being a horrible week. A um, couple of Pac-12 notes. Uh, so Rick Neuheisel came out and totally ripped the Pac-12. He does a national college football show on CBS and was ripping them. They can't show any Pac-12 highlights because they don't have a, a like a shared agreement with the Pac-12 network. Um, so that was kind of crazy. Or the Pac-12, that was kind of crazy. And Chris Fowler tweeted... He said, our crew would be interested in seeing uh, Khalil Tate and the Cats uh, battle Wazoo. But here in SC, they haven't heard of the Pac-12 network. Um, so a lot of, you know, all these Khalil Tate runs, uh, Dave, have been on the Pac-12 network. This week it'll be, you know, at almost 8 p.m. Uh, start time, uh, you know, East Coast time. I mean, uh, you know, almost 8 p.m. on the West Coast, uh, obviously 11 p.m. on the East Coast. So a lot of kind of heat coming down. When these games are some of the best players that you can't see because of the Pac-12 TV schedules and stuff. 
Yeah, I naturally invalidate most of what Rick Neuheisel says because he's a charlatan. Um, but <laughs> I'm a fan. Uh, on like this, him. on this, like a broken clock, he is, uh, I think, correct. Um, he, uh, I, I, the fact that Khalil Tate hasn't even had the opportunity to be on the the television screens of people on the East Coast and still won't this weekend because nobody's staying up till 11 p.m. to watch that game. Um, who doesn't have a you know. Who's 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 some sort of uh, job requires them to watch it, like say me. Um, but nobody on the East Coast is staying up till eleven to start watching that game. Um, and so all this, like Khalil Tate, and we'll talk about this a little bit more because we got a few questions about it. He's the most exciting player in college football right yeah. now. And I say that as a person who watches a lot of college football, and I have no rooting interest in Arizona whatsoever. Never have. Um, he's the most exciting player in college football. Everybody should be watching and talking about him. And instead, you know, you have people talking about him like he's a fringe Heisman contender. I projected out his stats for the remainder of the year. If he just kept up at the current pace, um, and this was through three games. I didn't update it after this most recent game. He would end up with something like 2,000 yards rushing as a quarterback. Wow. That's just, I mean, that's that's not a thing. That's that's crazy talk. Um, uh, Kyle, not, Kyle Born, our buddy Kyle tweeted out that he had, I think it was 830, 840 rushing yards in October. And yeah. no, no player's done that. No player, running back anybody, has done that in the last 10 years. It's freaky what he's doing. And it's absurd that uh, nobody seems to know about it. Um, yeah, Bryce Love is, is unheralded. And, and, you know, Tate is overshadowing Bryce Love, who's having an insane year. But but Tate's having a more insane year. Pac-12 has two insane, crazy offensive, explosive players um, that really like. And some people are talking about it, but not enough. I mean, these two guys are. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson got so much hype last year, and he was great. I mean, he's a phenomenal player. He's not. He didn't do the stuff that Khalil Tate's doing this year. Um, and so I just, yeah, I, I think. Hit the nail on the head, um, but I generally discount everything Rick Neisel says. The um, and we talked about the the week of blowouts, and it was also a week of. I mean, the whole conference looks drunk. Teams that looked amazing played like crap. Teams that usually play like crap looked amazing. What's new? It What's was new. This it, is the entire conference this entire year. Every time we put somebody number one in the rankings, they suck. It's just, uh, and it's not that they're sucking just that week. It's just that everyone sucks. Yeah. And it, it kind of reflects statement. Yeah, it reflected in our picks. Um, I did keep I'm keep inching closer. So Dave went two and four. I went three and three. Um, yeah, and a bunch of blowouts, stuff that we just didn't see. But I'm yeah. only, I'm only a couple behind you now. So you're 38 and 30, which is still excellent on the year. And I'm 36 and 32. So just just right behind you. But the last the last month, Dave, when Khalil Tate is taking the scene. You are yeah. ten and twelve, and I'm fourteen you're and eight. The, so you are the Khalil Tate of this podcast. Seems <laughs> pretty apparent. You had such a huge lead, though. I knew, you know, and I, I wasn't trying to get it all in one throw. I just wanted to like chip away, you know, kind of dinking yeah. and dunking, make up a game every week. And now we're now we're close. Yeah. And the only reason Ryan made up a game is because after the podcast last week, he didn't make a note of this on our uh, on our podcast. But uh, Ryan changed his UCLA Washington pick, which I allowed, um, and thus he pulled the game oh yes that was the that was the one uh so i I texted dave i wanted i told you i wanted to switch one because we had all the same picks no no i thought it was fair it was fair it was fair but But and i I, I did ask kyle in the interest of full disclosure to our uh our listenership who who does not care about this whatsoever um (laughs) which is everybody i felt i I needed to disclose (laughs) which is everybody i did (laughs) ask kyle uh if he wanted to but he he already does his picks 
uh, with uh, Ed over there at ESPN. So they're going to keep doing that. But he had he had his one solid week. So if he comes back on again, we'll we'll make him do uh, picks again. All right. Well, Dave, are you ready to uh, do our Pac-12 roundup? Look at you all prepared with the sound effect and everything. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do this. Yeah. Um, so we're going to do a countdown uh, backwards, I guess we like to say. A and count up. A count up, you might say. Yeah, we'll be counting up. And we'll do we'll do questions and stuff uh, at the end like we normally do. But our uh, number 12 team and uh, is, is staying there, unfortunately. Oregon State Beavers. Oh, those tough luck beeves. Uh, they were, that was number 12. They were taking on our previous number one. Maybe still number one. We don't know. Stanford Cardinal. Yeah, unfortunately, Oregon State <laughs> remains in the cellar, but uh, they they played well enough to win this game. Um, Stanford pulled out a last-second victory over Oregon State, 15-14 to 14 on the road. Um, this required some friggin' hijinks at the end. Um Oregon State fumbled with about two minutes to go, and uh, basically they were just trying to run out the clock at the end of the game. Ryan Nall just doesn't have a good enough handle on the ball. Stanford recovers, and then uh, Keller Christ, who had played horribly to that point, uh, suddenly strung together – didn't even string together a drive. He was horrible on, up through third down, and then he connected, I think, on a fourth and ten uh, over the middle, um, and it was kind of a lucky throw. The guy was really well covered. Um and uh, and then they just kind of drove down the rest of the field. It was a short field. Um, David Shaw did everything possible for Stanford to lose this game. Um, Bryce Love didn't play. So first off, they were playing a man down, and that's their most critical man. Um, and then Keller Chris started again, and Chris is, I think by now we can all say pretty definitively, the inferior quarterback to K.J. Costello. I think Jake uh, Browning's he, better than Chris. I think he is. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I think Jake Browning. Um, I mean, I, there's backups on teams that I think are probably better than Chris. Um, certainly a backup on Stanford who's better than Chris. Um, Oregon State played well. I mean, you're going to look at this game and you're going to see two teams that didn't play, do a whole lot offensively. But I thought Oregon State played within its capabilities really, really well. I thought Daryl Garrettson actually managed the game pretty well. He threw a pick late, but it was when he was trying to force some stuff um, just to get you know, to, to win the game at the end. Um, but I thought he managed the game well. I thought Ryan Nall ran well. I thought Tynus Tyner did some nice things. Um, I, they were the better team to me watching this game. Um, and I think that says a lot about Bryce Love's value to Stanford. And the announcers kept making this point, but I think it was a, a fair one. Um, if, if you want to talk about the most valuable player or the, the Heisman, it's Bryce Love because when you take him off Stanford, Stanford's suddenly a team that'll struggle at Oregon State, a team that's one and seven. Um, they've got to start KJ Costello, and I think they're going to get a false positive from Chris uh, leading that little drive at the end, and David Shaw's going to stick with him. Um, but KJ Costello is, to my eyes, and I've watched every single Stanford game at this point, uh, he's, uh, he's far and away the better quarterback. And until they start him and get Bryce Love back, who's nursing an ankle injury, um, they're going to be vulnerable. Yeah, it was a high ankle sprain, so he came out in a boot and didn't play. Um, you kind of learned that, you know, at kickoff, and uh, like the announcers were saying, I, I agree with them. Like, if this is Stanford, if this is how Stanford's going to look with no Bryce Love, um, he's really that important to the team. And it was the Twitter was amazing during this game. As far as well, the game was terrible. So, um, but like Corey Hall was going nuts. The the interim head coach for Oregon State, he was awesome to watch. 
Um, they ran that tackle throwback for eight yards by Oregon oh, State. And so nearly an awesome fat guy touchdown. Yeah, it was so good. And it's, but it set up their first touchdown. Um, he's bringing so much energy. And we, we saw this happening. I mean, Stanford was favored by 21. They didn't score 21. So we both knew. I mean, this was like Oregon State's kind of playing well right now, even though they, they lost the previous week and they probably shouldn't have the, to Colorado. They had the bye week. Um, we thought they'd play Stanford tough, and they did. But th- what I didn't think is they would play them well enough to win, and they should have won, like you said. The KJ Costello thing is baffling to me. Where it was, it was to the point where on Twitter, like, okay, well, he's going to come in the next series, right? No, okay. After ha- I think they asked him at halftime, are we going to see KJ Costello? Because the Stanford offense was just garbage. And the the sideline reporter asked uh, David Shaw, and he made some kind of quip remark like, "We'll see" or something, and still didn't come in. Still didn't come in, and. It was it was like either KJ Costello is like hurt, or David Shaw. I tweeted this, or David Shaw is the most stubborn coach in college football because I couldn't. There there was no reason besides him trying to be stubborn and prove a point that the guy he picked as a starter really should be the guy that he just kept riding and riding with. I don't know what you think, Dave. Yeah, I mean, I, I made this point on Twitter. I think like ninety five percent of the time, David Shaw's a very good coach. Yes. Like he's he's strong contender for number one in the Pac twelve with Chris Peterson. I think five um, percent of the time, it's like if you put me out there, like or just some random joker off the street. Um, he just makes some baffling decisions, and it's almost like I've joked this a few times, but it's almost like he's gotten bored with like. You know, winning the Pac-12 every year, and he's like, "Let's add some degree of difficulty. Let me play with my uh, third worst quarterback. Let's see what happens." Um, and it's just, it's it's insane to watch because um, if Costello was in this, I mean, Christ wasn't even making attempts downfield after a little while. Um, he he was so slow on his reads that, like the 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 announcers were like, "Oh, well, as the ball's in the air, they're like, oh, he was way late on that, way late on that, way late on that." And Oregon State should have had four picks in this game. Like, there were four times where it just hit an Oregon State player in the hands, and he just couldn't pick it up. Um, Chris was, I mean, and I, I don't mean to, like, hammer a kid, but, like, he was horrible in this game. Um, <laughs> and Oregon State's defense was horrible coming into this game. Like, this should not have been an issue uh, for a Stanford offense that ranks, like, literally in, like, the top five in most statistical categories offensively. This shouldn't have been an issue, but they're playing the wrong quarterback and they didn't have their best running back. And that shouldn't be an issue for a team like Stanford, but for whatever reason it is because they're, I don't know, calling games weirdly and making weird personnel decisions. But whatever the case, they should have lost to Oregon State. Oregon State was the better team. Oregon State was probably the better team against Colorado last week. And I'm going to say this right now. I'm going to make a fearless prediction. Oregon State's going to win a game this year. It's going to be one of at Cal. ASU at home or at Oregon. They're going to win one of those. Um, They're playing too well right now. They're playing with a lot of fire, a lot of energy. Corey Hall clearly has them motivated. I just can't see this team losing out. And yeah, I'm not going to pick them in any one of these games, but they're going to upset somebody on the stretch here. They they just are. Um, they're, They're clearly playing a lot better than they were. And this is something that happens. We talked about this, um, right after Gary Anderson was fired or not fired, but right after he left, um, when a team loses a coach midseason, it can have a galvanizing effect on that team. And I think that's very clearly happened with Oregon State. They are playing like we expected them to play at the beginning of the year. And so we maybe need to recalibrate what we thought, what we think of the Beavers because, you know, we, we thought of them as a potential bowl team at the beginning of the year. And suddenly they're playing like that team. Now, for both of now these both, teams, I'm sorry, were you going on? No, that was oh. it. So for both of these teams, 
the the mistakes. It was just like one team would make make a mistake, the other team would make a mistake. For Oregon State, obviously, you want to try to clean that up. They're, but they're playing with fire and passion. You like it, and to win one of those games, I think they got to clean up some of the stuff. On the Stanford side, it was just kind of surprising. Oregon State really couldn't punt, and then Stanford wasn't taking advantage of that at all. Um, they, you know, they would they rough the kicker on one of the plays, like extending an Oregon State drive. Like you get a stop, terrible punt. But they rough the kicker, and then Oregon State gets it back again. We saw Oregon State shoot themselves in the foot. Um, I think they got a – like Stanford screwed up their drive. Oregon State gets the ball, and they end up fumbling inside their own 10, and, and then they have to hold the – you know, and Stanford still can't even punch that one in. It was just like yeah. – it's just errors on both sides. You're like, what is going on? Um, I think Stanford got up unsportsmanlike, like taking the player's helmet off, like in the – you know, to keep a Oregon State drive alive. Like they get a stop. And then the player takes his helmet off, like just stupid kind of mistakes. And obviously, at the end, you, if you watch the game, Oregon State was in control, and and Stanford couldn't do anything offensively to get that final drive. It was such a crushing defeat in four straight plays. If you were talking about stubborn, they just threw that fade four times in a row. They worked the time that you needed to uh, for the touchdown, but penalties and all that. So it was just, it was just crazy. It was a terrible. We're gonna like. Even when you're like in May and you're like, I wish I could watch a college football game, you would not wish you could watch this college football game. Yeah, it was it was like uh, it happened eight games into the year, but it was the quintessential early season Stanford game, yeah. like just so hideously ugly, like just not like just such awful offense um, and ending it with four fades was just so brutal to watch and each of them more poorly thrown than the last like it was so bad like there were fades that were dropping in so that like every time the corner was interfering but not because it was a properly thrown fade that he was trying to interfere with the receiver it was because the receiver had to fight back to the ball because it was so poorly thrown just awful 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 football game um and oregon state should have won i agree with you all right, so um, our uh, our number eleven team, and uh, this is hard to do, but this, this is the way they've been playing. California Golden Bears. They were on the road uh, taking on Colorado Buffaloes. Yeah, and I don't even necessarily want to say it's the way they've been playing. They've get, they've gotten some bad luck, but like the results are what they are. They're one and five in conference right now. They just lost, so Colorado won uh, over Cal, forty four twenty eight. Real blowout. Um, Colorado, for the first time this year, um, really had some explosive plays on offense. Um, this was a bit more like we all thought the Colorado offense was going to look. Uh, Steven Montez was just hitting deep ball after deep ball after deep ball, um, and it just blew this game open in the first half. Uh, Montez was 20 of 26 for 347 yards, so well over uh, 10 yards per attempt, um, three touchdowns. He played pretty pretty much as close to a perfect game as Steven Montez can play. Um, he also ran for a touchdown. Um, and Cal, just their defense wasn't stopping that deep bomb. They were doing okay on the ground, um, but they just could not stop the deep ball. Um, and that kind of made it so that Cal's offense had to play from behind. Ross Bowers threw it a lot more than Cal's going to ever want him to throw. Um, and he didn't do badly, um, or not too badly, but 29 of 52 for 359 yards. With Cal's kind of new look offense, that's not the ratio they want. They only had 52, they had 52 passes to 25 rushes. 
um, and they're going to want more balance than that. Um, it just th- this isn't the kind of game that Cal in its current iteration is equipped to play. Um, they, they don't typically want to play games in the 40s. They had that game against Arizona, but that was a double overtime game um, where they were both in the 40s. They would love to have kept this to more of a game in the 20s um, and let their defense kind of play uh, a little bit more balanced, but they just they could not stop the deep ball at all. And Colorado just kept getting behind their corners and safeties, and it was just... Uh, it was just ugly, and this is—I mean, this is what we expected from Colorado's offense to start the year, and it finally showed up in Game Nine. Yeah, this—I uh, thought it was a great, uh, you know, great plan, game plan by Mike uh, McIntyre, the head coach of Colorado. He also had a quarterback competition during the week, and that must have led a fire under Stephen Montez. But this is why, like, just watching this game, how drunk the Pac-12 was, and and for Montez to be as horrible as he's been, and yeah. to look. I mean, he looked like Joe Montana. Like, it was, you know, three touchdowns. Perfectly in stride, <laughs> deep bombs just down the field. It's like Cal could not have expected that to happen. They no. just could not have. And this Cal defense, we thought had been playing well. Maybe they're a little undermanned. But, man, scheme-wise, they've been great. They got out-schemed in this one. Uh, I mean, they Colorado was 11 of 17 on third down. So they could not get them off the field. And it just seemed like... Anytime Cal got a little bit of life, Colorado would just keep these drives going. Cal also couldn't hit any big plays. Um, you know, they needed to hit some big plays. It just seemed like it wasn't there. You know, they had Philip Lindsay run the ball well. He had 161 yards rushing. So when you get Montez throwing well and Lindsay is always going to do his thing, it was just a really long day for the Cal defense. But it's just one of those, it just never got going. He thought, well, maybe they can, uh, you know, climb back in a little bit. No. And uh, it wasn't like Cal didn't have a bunch of penalties. They didn't have a bunch of turnovers. They just played crappy on defense, and, and and Colorado played really well. So it wasn't one of those things where, oh, there was a pick six, and they fumbled on their own. You know, there wasn't any of that. It was just they couldn't get Colorado to stop the Colorado offense. And like like they've said, this was this was week nine, and we hadn't seen this really at all, all season. Yeah, there was no way to predict this. Um, but Colorado did a nice job. Um, this puts them, you know, with three games to go uh, in line for, I think, bowl eligibility. They've still got some tough ones coming up at ASU, USC at home, and then at Utah. But I think they can win one of those um, and get to 6-6. Six and six. So that's a good thing for them. I think Cal, you know, still, still is alive for a bowl. Um, I don't – it gets a little bit tougher now. They, they're only allowed one more loss. Um, but Oregon State at home at Stanford at UCLA, it's – conceivable they can win two of those they've been a different team at home versus on the road though so um we will see uh if they can pull out one of those road games at stanford or at ucla they get a bye before stanford uh, the oregon state game at home is obviously i mean unfortunately oregon state's surging right now you know yeah and uh obviously we don't know the status of uh uh of of ucla which speaking of our number 10 team ucla bruins so they uh they uh, took on a team that doesn't know what the forward pass is. Washington Huskies. Yeah, so this one, uh, Washington won 44-23. Uh, the final score is a little deceptive. UCLA scored a junk-time defensive touchdown um, off a of fumble pretty late. Uh, otherwise, this was a 44-16 super blowout. Um, Washington had the most cynical offensive game plan I think I've seen. Uh, Chris Peterson had UCLA scouted, um, or maybe just watched one or two games this year, <laughs> but he understood that uh, what you do against UCLA is you you hand the ball to your running back and then you 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 move forward. 
Um, and uh, that's what Washington did a total of 58 times against 11 pass attempts. Um, and that was a successful strategy. They ran for uh, 333 yards on those 58 carries. Um, up until the fourth quarter when it got to junk time, uh, they were averaging nearly seven yards a pop. By the end, it was only about 5.8. Uh, but this was a very ugly performance for UCLA's defense after they looked pretty good against Oregon the week before. Um, but that was a one-dimensional Oregon. And while Washington played in a one-dimensional manner, um, they did have that, you know, they had the potential to make some plays in the past game, whereas Oregon did not. And that made UCLA's defense very indecisive, which has been kind of the story for the entire year. Um, so that's, I mean, that's the reason UCLA lost this game. Their defense is horrible. Um, and that's, that's what happened here. Now, as a side note, Josh Rosen uh, got dinged up in this one. Um, he had uh, a left-hand injury at one point, a right-hand injury at one point. He got sat on by all 680 pounds of Greg Gaines and Vita Vea a number of times, uh, just getting crushed because his offensive line couldn't couldn't stop anybody at this point. Um, so Rosen left the game in the third quarter, replaced by Devon Modster, um, who looked a little shaky, had a nice drive, but... Um, it was a bad performance for UCLA's defense, a bad performance for the offense, and they lost to a very good Washington team by uh, a healthy margin. Yeah, it was a uh, 17-point spread, and uh, even with the domination, it's still you know still close at the end. I mean, they, uh, when jo- when uh, Josh Rosen went out, it just didn't look like UCLA was going to be able to do much. But for Jake Browning to go 8 of 11 for 98 yards in a pick, like that yeah. was... <laughs> <laughs> and and it, he was shaky. Like some of those throws, like the the throw where he got picked, it was, it was. I mean, it's everything we've talked about on this on this show about Browning's arm. And I, I don't mean to get into like the the serious like you know dissection of Browning's game because I think he's a fine quarterback. But um, throwing those outs to the sideline, throwing stuff you know where he has to he has to hit a guy in stride and tight coverage, um, not great. And that one he got picked on. Um, and just there were a couple of throws where he just looked like, yeah, you don't have the arm to hit that throw. Um, when they talk about quarterbacks who can hit all of the throws, Browning is not one of them. Um, yeah. He can hit some throws. He can hit some college-level throws really, really well. He's got great touch on his deep ball. He's got you know, the, the acumen, the savvy, all that kind of stuff. But he cannot hit all of the throws. There are throws that he 100% just is not going to be able to throw with the kind of effortless ease of uh, – you know some some better prospects. Yeah, the um, I thought actually UCLA started off doing a pretty good job of stopping the run. Um, and to, to Chris Peterson's credit, he stuck with it. They weren't. It wasn't like they were you know just mowing them over early in the game. They ended up with 30, 333 rushing yards. But I think uh, Washington was very patient with it. I'd have liked to see Browning be a little bit better because they didn't ask him to do much when you're just you know you're only asked to throw eleven times. You know have a touchdown, don't have a pick. I mean, just look a little bit sharper. I mean, he was 8 of 11, but it just it didn't seem like when they were throwing the ball, it just wasn't the same as when they were running the ball. I don't know. Is this a crock-potting, too? Is this was that what the, our buddies at the Solid Verbal? Would, this would... was very much a, a Alabama-esque crock-potting because okay. they didn't really do much in the beginning. And then just slowly the, the running game started becoming more and more successful for Washington as UCLA got worn down. And then in that third quarter, they just blew it wide open. Um, but it wasn't like it was like chunk play after chunk play. It was just methodically squeezing the life out of UCLA. Yeah. And there was a couple that were like, usually they almost got like a you know, screen in the backfield yeah, oh yeah. or something. Oh, and, yeah. then, and the guy there just... was one where they forced a fumble, but then the fumble landed in a Washington player's hands, and he then advanced the ball like another twenty five. Yeah, yards. I remember that was that was pretty yeah. crazy. 
Um, our, our one last thing on this for me, at least our, our friend, John Wilner wrote this, uh, in his newsletter. I wanted to read it to you. He said, but the crack hotline. So he does the, uh, the hot, you know, his thing's called the hotline. The crack hotline research staff has determined the Bruins are even worse than awful. They're on pace to become the first power five team in 15 years to allow more than 300 rushing yards per game over a full season. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? I don't know. I, don't um, know. I, I had read that just earlier today as well. Um, yeah, and here's the really funky thing. So UCLA's uh, defense is horrible. It's like um, bottom hundred. Uh, so it's like in, it's uh, I think in Bill Connolly's S and P Plus, which is an advanced stat metric that everyone should be following. But uh, I think it's 110th in the country. Um, and the crazy thing is, last year UCLA's defense was 30th. Um, they've dropped off like 80 spots in a single year. If you combine last year's defense and this year's offense. I was doing the quick math on it. They'd be like 13th in the country in that metric, like overall. Um, like that would be their overall rank. And it's just, yeah, UCLA's defense is atrocious is my point here. And it's kind of inexplicable how bad it got in just a single season. Yeah, they got to do the, they, unfortunately, UCLA's got the dreaded back-to-back road, including a Friday game. So they're going to Utah, yeah, yeah. Arizona yeah, State yeah. at USC, and then they got another Friday game against Cal and Washington, uh, interesting games with you know Oregon and uh, at Stanford, which is a Friday game, and they got Utah and then Washington State, which is the Apple Cup, and uh, so kind of interesting road for these teams ahead. Yep, for sure. Okay, so uh, our number um, our number nine team, Colorado Buffaloes. We already talked about them, so I don't need to uh, bring that up. Uh, our number. Uh, eight team Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> so they were hosting USC Trojans. Pretty precipitous fall for Arizona State. I think they were like what six. Seven, I think they were something. above. I think they were above USC. They might have been like five, right? Or, might have been five. Yeah. Uh, USC blew them out badly. Uh, Thirty-one point victory. Forty-eight seventeen. Um, ASU's defense was more of the story for me in this one look their offense hasn't been great this year and so i don't think anybody should have expected them to be phenomenal in this game clearly they weren't great um they only scored 17 points but defensively uh who boy uh ronald jones uh 18 carries for 216 yards that's those are bryce lovey type numbers um that's that's freaky uh usc running the ball 46 carries for 341 yards uh, Sam Darnold played his first really good game in a while. Um, nothing. I mean, he lost a fumble, which is just you know, that's par for the course. But if you if you limit if Sam Darnold limits himself to just one turnover in a game, he's he's really winning now. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. But uh, defensively, Arizona State just could not do anything against this USC team. Uh, they were able to do whatever they wanted through the air and on the ground. And then ASU's offense was so dink and dunk heavy in the first half. Um, just doing nothing downfield whatsoever. Manny Wilkins not even taking shots, and when he did, um, just not hitting throws downfield. For the longest time, um, they had one big play to Nikhil Harry, which was on this hilariously underthrown ball down the sideline that Harry just made a great play on. But aside from that, they had like basically no passing offense whatsoever. It was like five yards and Nikhil Harry's 70-yard catch. Um, and it was it was just horrible for a long stretch there. Um, sneakily, Arizona State is an awful running team, and you wouldn't think so with Demario Richard 
and Keelan Balaj, but they are. Um, and it was no different in this game, 30 carries for 79 yards. Um, they, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, they've turned into a pumpkin a little bit struck midnight. Um, but this was, this was a bad, bad, bad home defeat. Um, they looked a little bit more like the Arizona state we were expecting, um, after about the second game of the year when we were talking about them potentially being one and seven after eight games instead, they're four and four, they've had a nice surge, but, uh, this was a little bit of a, maybe a back to reality moment. Yeah, I think uh, so. Kalen Balaj, I think he had one catch in the game, but he had some sort of like stomach virus. So I think that certainly uh, hurt the Arizona State offense. Not the way we thought this would go, um, obviously. And it's one of those things where you know USC can do this, but they just certainly have not been doing it consistently. Uh, really, this is the second time they played well. USC's two and seven against the spread. They they beat. Stanford up pretty good, and they beat Arizona State up pretty good. Those are the only two times they look good, and you know, and those are the two times they end up covering the spread. And you know, and look at practice this week, Dave, and it didn't seem like they were doing anything different. But talking to the players afterwards, it was more just like a loose, like just go have fun sort of thing. So it's almost one of those things where are they getting overcoached and like trying to do things that they, you know, just let them go out and play, let the athletes go play. I don't know what it was, but we like the Pac-12 is drunk. Arizona State was surging. USC was bottoming out what we thought against Notre Dame and then they come out and just blitzkrieg them and uh they you know it and it, it was it was even worse probably than the score showed there was a, a Hail Mary right before the half which was up as about as Pac-12 after dark Pac-12 ref oh, so bonkers that you can get and uh, I mean I'm in this press box so they it's a, a Hail Mary two USC defenders like try to intercept it with they should just try to knock it down so they didn't defend it very well and uh, they come down, you know, Arizona State comes down with it. It looks like they, get, they call it that he's down at the one and didn't get into the end zone. His feet were in, but it looked like the ball wasn't in. And so everyone goes off the field. The Arizona State band's lining up. They've already started announcing uh, part of the pack, whatever the show, the halftime show was, like announcing someone won an award or whatever it was. Like they started halftime. And then, like, you see the referees <laughs> that go down the tunnel. People are scrambling. We talk to players afterwards, and they're like, USC players are sitting in the locker room. And the locker room at Arizona State is literally at least a block away. Like, you have to go outside and yeah. walk around. So you're, it's like a far walk. You know, you'd be kind of mad just to do that. And, uh, yeah, it was all kinds of confusion. And then, the, you know, at one point, Arizona State, the, their players are lined up for an extra point, and there's no one in, in a USC uniform on the field. And you're like, oh, they could just run a two-point conversion and just punch it in right now. But they eventually get the USC players back, and it was a stupid extra point, and then they could start halftime. But that was that was complete Pac-12 after dark and Pac-12 refs in action. Yeah, I was well. A couple of things. First, I'm I'm kind of shocked the refs um, didn't make it clear that there was going to be a review because all I mean, of course there was going to be a review, but I'm kind of stunned that neither head coach was like, "Hey, stay on the field, guys," because this might, you know, be reviewed. You see this a lot in like basketball, where like the coach is just he'll, he'll say, "Hey, hey, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on, stay out here, stay out here," you know, if there's like a buzzer beater or something like yeah. that, like all those kinds of things. And neither head coach did that. Like Todd Graham was like leading his team into the tunnel, and Clay Helton obviously didn't do much because USC was just in the locker room. Like, where's the where's the awareness, guys? I mean, it wasn't like it was it wasn't like they waited out on the field for like a minute. They they pretty much just rushed into the locker room like it was a typical end of game end of path situation. It wasn't. It was a, a play at like the one inch line. I mean, come on, guys. Let's 
I, I thought the Pac-12 refs are definitely to blame for you know a lot of things, and certainly some of the absurdity is on them. But the head coaches, I mean, are, are you guys even paying attention to the game? Like, it's, <laughs> this is going to be reviewed, so why don't you just hang on for you know a few seconds? Yeah, but it was just it was a weird kind of thing overall. I was talking to Chris Cartman. I'm just like you know, shrug, you did the shoulder shrug emoji or whatever. Like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen this. I mean, you. I told people. I told like uh, by you know, I had picked. We both picked Arizona State. Uh, they were getting two and a half points, and I told Dan before the game, like you know, if USC beats them by twenty one, I'm not going to be surprised. But I, it's just hard to pick that when they just haven't been playing that way, and somehow they decided to play that way. They you know they got. They got a little bit of a boost on defense, too. Porter Gustin came back. We hadn't seen him since the first half of the Texas game. I mean, he played in this game, Dave, and hadn't even put on pads since, you know, week three against Texas. Like, he didn't practice at all. They just put him out there for some plays and mostly, like, third down stuff. And then Josh Fatu was in a, a car accident. I saw him after the game. He had this huge, like, bump over his, his – his, I mean, he's – I don't know how he's back. He looks like he got in the car accident yesterday, but he had concussion protocol – and he came in and gave them a, a boost. They, they just needed some depth on the defensive line. So I think those two guys maybe give a little bit of an emotional spark. For sure. All right, let's move on. So our number uh, seven team. Utah Utes. Uh, they took on, uh, well, since they're playing next to each other, our number six team now. Oregon Ducks. All right, so Utah uh, traveled to Oregon. Utah was favored in this game and lost by three touchdowns, um, speaking to, again, the Pac-12 being nonsensical uh, BS. Um, <laughs> the uh, Oregon was able to do some things offensively. Uh, Braxton Burmeister was relatively competent at quarterback. They didn't ask him to do a whole lot, but um, especially early on, he was 7 of 7, looked um, you know in command as much as he can. And their run game... Uh, What's been most shocking about Utah this year is how progressively weaker and weaker the line play has gotten. Um, Oregon was dictating to this defensive line, this front seven, uh, especially in the second half, um, just running at will over and over and over and over again. And, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody on Oregon got into it. Royce Freeman had a good game. Tony Brooks James had a good game. Kenny Benoit had a good game. Taj Griffin had a good game. Even Braxton Burmeister um, had positive yardage. Um, this was 49 carries for 347 yards. We're seeing a lot of those kind of rushing totals in the Pac-12 um, where just teams are either very good running the ball or very bad at stopping it. Um, Tyler Huntley returned to form a little bit for Utah. Um, he looked much more like the player we saw at the beginning of the year. Still not quite right, but much more. Um, but defensively, they just didn't put themselves in any position to do anything. Um, and so... Yeah, the offense was fine-ish. Um, the, the Oregon's run D is legitimately good. Um, so, you know, looking at Utah's rushing numbers, that's okay. 30 carries for 91 yards isn't great, but um, it just, uh, when Utah plays defense like that, they're not going to win games. And uh, this is a one-dimensional Oregon team. UCLA did a nice job of stopping them the previous week, and Utah, in its present state, just wasn't really capable of doing that. Yeah, this was weird. So we got this one wrong, too. Um, I really felt like maybe Justin Herbert comes back, but he's a little rusty, kind of like um, what we saw from Huntley last week. But Huntley came back, and, you know, Herbert didn't play. Huntley came back and looked better, which would, would if you would have told me, okay, um, Utah was going to run 73 plays, Oregon's going to run 62. Huntley's going to look a lot better, not like crappy like he was last week. Um 
I would it would have felt even better about this pick. But unlike the Cal game, you know, where we're talking about it was it was just this was there was a bunch of mistakes. It wasn't just you know Stephen Montez went crazy and just played really well. This and 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 you know there was pick sixes or things like that. This game there was more of a bunch of mistakes and Utah kind of shooting itself in the foot. Um, there was a really good fat guy touchdown, which was mm-hmm. great. Uh, there was a near Oregon goal line stand, which that's okay. kind of crazy too. Like crazy stuff was going on this game. Um, you, but Utah kept screwed up. Like they missed a field goal. They just weren't doing a lot of the little things that they needed to win. There was a, I don't know, what did you think about that targeting call? Um, there was a Utah block. I thought it was a good call. I mean, a good, uh, I wouldn't think it was a good call. I thought it was a good block, but did you think it was a targeting thing? Uh, I could have gone either way on it. Yeah. I, I'm, uh, I, I thought it, I, I probably wouldn't have called it targeting. Um, but I can go either way on that stuff. The head safety stuff is important. I completely get it. It's just there needs to be some more teaching element to it rather than the punishment element. Like, I think you just – there needs to be some real off-season, like, you know, training for a lot of these guys on, you know, what are they supposed to do? Like, how are they supposed to block? How are they supposed to tackle? All that kind of stuff. But I could have gone either way on the actual call. Um, It's been called very, very closely in a lot of games this year, so – you know, guys should know it at this point, but yeah, it was iffy. It looked to me like there was a lot of shoulder, but then like the helmets kind of touched, but it wasn't yeah. on the one angle. It I looked think like it was, the... I think it was more the leading, like leading towards the head area, and I think they're just kind of, you know, they're sensitive to that. Yeah, but so I mean, Utah did like Utah was terrible on third down. Obviously, that doesn't help. Oregon ran this weird trick play where like they pitch at the receiver, they pretty much had him sacked i mean the guy is like it's a balancing act that he didn't go down you thought he would just go down so he's like scrambling just to get back to his feet they keep chasing him he keeps turns the corner and then you know almost a tackle then he throws a jump ball and it ends up being a touchdown in the end zone things just seemed like they were working uh for the ducks like no one on oregon had more than two catches it just seemed like they were the consistent team they would not screw up let let utah screw up and they kept doing that so uh, it yeah. was just a weird one. Did you, what about what about the fat guy touchdown? Did you like that? Oh, I loved it. I loved it. It was one of my favorite ever because you've got the offensive lineman just lying on the ground, not an eligible receiver, uh, but it's a tipped ball, so he can touch it, um, and then he just catches it lying on his back, and it was phenomenal. I loved every bit of it. So that that was what that's what it took for like Utah to score. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. You're like, what do they do? I mean, I don't know. It's just. I really thought Utah was going to play better, it, but it just seemed like one of those games, Dave, where it just the ball wasn't rolling their way. They were they were screwing up themselves, but any kind of like weird play outside of that one just didn't seem to go their way. Yeah, and you expect good line play out of Utah, and they just didn't. They haven't had it, um, especially the last few games. But for to, for a one dimensional team like that to beat you, we've seen that. Yeah, you know, we saw that with you know Washington UCLA. It makes more sense, you know. But this one. I thought Utah should be able to take advantage of a team, especially with Herbert not back. The only thing I was worried about in this one was, you know, if you're picking Utah for Herbert coming back, the fact they didn't come back, and uh, yeah, I don't know, but they're they're reeling a little bit uh, in Utah, for sure. Seven might be a little high for them. I don't know. What do you think? Might be a little high. Um, maybe a little. Okay, so our uh, our number five team, Washington State Cougars. <laughs> Yeah, so we uh, we talked about them, right? Um, no, we not. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, oh, you're exactly right because our number four team. I was like, I, my my assumption was Arizona was 
little further down. But there are number four team, Dave. Arizona Wildcats. Okay. So a game that went more like what we were thinking. Um, at least we predicted this one against the spread correctly because Washington State was weirdly favored. Uh, Arizona won 58-37. to 37. Um, Khalil Tate, I mean, it, I mean, I want to keep talking about it because he's so freaky good, but it's just, I mean, he did what he does. Um, he once again threw for well over 10 yards per pass attempt and once again ran for well over 10 yards per rush attempt. He's a freak. He is a video game player. Um, and it's been contagious. JJ Taylor, after starting the year really slowly, is just freaking out he had 13 carries for 152 yards and a couple of touchdowns a couple of really long runs um tate's playing um tate's playing this offense better than any quarterback in the country is playing the particular offense that they are part of i mean he is a better fit for this scheme than any other quarterback is in the country to their scheme um he is so good that so when he just moves a little bit outside the pocket Everyone on the defense freezes, and so he can just loft these little arm punts over the defense, and there will be a wide-open receiver almost every single time because everyone is just waiting for him to explode forward um, on the run. Uh, it's I, For a college defense to defend that without – like I, I was talking about this with some friends, and yeah, I'm going to use UCLA context just because um, that's – kind of the thing I know the best, but you almost have to have a couple of Miles Jack-esque defenders who are just so quick and fast that they can, and strong, that they can run down a guy like Tate, but also recover um, and play the middle of the field, but also be able to accelerate against him to keep him from explosive plays. Not many defenses have those guys, and certainly not a couple of them. Um, and uh, Washington State certainly didn't have that. On Saturday, uh, Tate tore apart what was, you know, top three defense in the league. So that's one thing. The other thing is Mike Leach is a crazy person. Uh, <laughs> he, he pulled Luke Falk in this game, and I sort of got it because Falk is, like, checking down like crazy. He's not seeing the field well right now. There's a lot going on with him that just doesn't look right. Um, but he put in Tyler Holinsky, and Holinsky... I mean, I think he was put in just before halftime, and he threw the ball 61 times for 509 yards, but four picks that easily could have been more. Um, I believe he also fumbled. Yeah, he also fumbled. Um, and, fumbled twice, actually. Um, and he was fine-ish. Um, honestly, the four picks, uh, uh, well, no, he was not fine-ish. The four picks were all bad. Um, but he, he did move him down the field a little bit, but it was just kind of crazy towards the end uh, when he kept throwing interceptions and killing drives. Um, there was at least one in the end zone uh, that they didn't put Falk back in. Um, and, you know, maybe it speaks to something weird going on there. Maybe there's more to it than we know, but, um, yeah, Washington State lost this game badly. Their defense, which had been kind of the strength of the team weirdly this year, uh, got completely steamrolled. This was weird. Okay, so... I thought they did a good job. Washington State did a good job against the run early. Uh, but, the, you know, like you said, they took Luke Falk out. Washington State ends up scoring anyway. Um, and Halinski had, he had four, accounted for four touchdowns, but four interceptions and I think a fumble too, like you said. So it was like he accounted for four touchdowns and five turnovers. He was just kind of like this catalyst that made like just all kinds of crazy things happen where I, I don't know, would you have been better off with Luke Falk and, was he a little hurt or something? I don't know. Um, I was watching on my tablet. I didn't get to hear the sound, so I wasn't able to sure like what exactly was going on there. Uh, Arizona ended up hitting a 57-yard field goal 
before the half, which was kind of crazy. But they were turning the ball over, too. And the first two turnovers for Arizona led to two touchdowns for Washington State. And I think they were kind of keeping them in there a little bit. Um, Washington State ended up getting 20 points off, uh, you know, three of the Arizona turnovers. But then uh, then Arizona started capitalizing. They got 14 points off a couple of uh, of the interceptions that you were talking about. Um, Washington State ended up getting a 56-yard field goal, too. And they were they actually cut it to to thirty seven to thirty in the fourth quarter, um, but it was just you know whatever Khalil Tate and the and the running game for Arizona was doing it was just too much. Um, I really feel like they were limiting everyone else except for Tate on the ground, and then it started to open up. And I don't know if it was a crock party sort of thing, but it just kind of uh, you know opened up things later on. Arizona was only two of nine on third down, but they had so many big plays, Dave. They just kept it rolling. Washington State was four of eighteen on third down, so they needed to control the ball a little bit more, and they just couldn't do it. I don't know about the quarterback switching and stuff. It was it just seemed like there was a lot of big plays and exciting, crazy plays, like the anti uh, Oregon State Stanford game. But it was just going to be too much Arizona at the end. Yeah, for sure. Um, Arizona had fifty one total plays. Uh, Washington State had a hundred and one. <laughs> I didn't even realize that. <laughs> that is the difference between an explosive offense and an efficient one. And yeah. Washington State was fairly efficient, but not explosive, and they didn't take advantage of their scoring opportunities as well. And Arizona is a threat to score at any point on the field. So how many times can you beat a team by 21, and they, your opponent, the team you beat by 21, had 602 yards of passing offense alone? With a back, most of it, five hundred with a backup quarterback, like that's insane. That's a very Big Twelve thing to happen, and the Big Twelve has now been transplanted to Tucson, Arizona. Yeah, we had one uh, one more note I want to share with you from our buddy John Wilner. So uh, last year, uh, Washington State beat Arizona by sixty two points. If you remember that, so that, mm-hmm. that was kind of a beatdown. So this year they returned to Arizona, beat them by twenty one. So he said that's an eighty three point difference year over year. He said, which has to be the greatest swing in conference history, but he hasn't looked it up. So if any of our listeners out there want to look that up or whatever, but that, that does seem rather outrageous to have that kind of a swing. Yeah. You know, uh, what, what was the swing? 83. 83. Um, 62 and 21. There was one off the top of my head, but now I can't remember it. Oh, what was the swing from uh, USC beating UCLA fifty to nothing, and then losing the next year? I don't think it was by like thirty three. Yeah, points. I think it was somewhere in the seventies, probably. Yeah, I think it was like it was either high sixties or seventies. Yeah, I, I think that that could be up there. I mean, there are a lot of swings in the league. I mean, home field advantage has played a huge role in this league for a long time. So I wouldn't be completely stunned um, yeah. if there was some that was bigger. But I thought that was an interesting note that he had, so I'd share that. Um, okay, so that was five and four. Our number three team, USC Trojans. So we talked about them. Uh, our number two team. So they they beat Oregon State, but we dropped them down a spot because they look like butt. Stanford Cardinal. And new number one team in the Power Rankings podcast of champions power rankings. Washington Huskies. <laughs> Yeah, we apologize in advance, Huskies fans. It's a curse. Yeah. Who does, uh, let me see, who does Washington play this Oregon. week? Oregon. Oregon, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm picking the Ducks no matter what. Yeah. Um, it's actually a pretty big spread, I think, right? Yeah, 26 points. 26 points. Okay, so 
I think it's pick time, Dave. We got to uh, go through the games and do our picks. Uh, we'll start. We have a Friday Friday game. We have UCLA Bruins. They'll be on the road taking on Utah Utes. Yeah, on Friday, this game's taking off or kicking off, not taking off. It's not a plane. It's a, it's a football game. Uh, at 6.30 p.m. on Fox Sports 1 UCLA at Utah, the line just came out because there's still some uncertainty about Josh Rosen's health for this game. Uh, Utah is opened at a minus five favorite, so five-point favorite. Um, the over-under, which is a much more interesting number for me, is 60.5, which seems like a sure bet on the under. Um, so... Well, actually, I mean, if Josh Rosen plays, maybe it isn't. Um, so UCLA um, has been a horrible road team this year. Uh, they are 0-4 on the road, 4-0 at home. This is a road game. It's a road game six days after their last road game, which in the Pac-12, I think Pac-12 teams are 0-5 in those situations. Um, when they've done that in the scheduling, uh, where it's been a, a road game on a Saturday followed by a road game on the next Friday. Which you can understand. That's a tough, tough thing to do. Um, UCLA is not good. Utah is trending towards not good. Um, the Bruins have a horrible rush D. Uh, Utah's got a not very good um, rush offense. Tyler Huntley um, is trending towards better than he was two games ago. And he looked better last week. And maybe he'll look better in this one. Um, I think I like Utah here. Minus the five. Um, I don't feel like super strongly about it. Um UCLA has, you know, played better against um, some teams with the weaker offenses in the league, uh, particularly Colorado and then Oregon with uh, without Justin Herbert. But uh, I don't feel great about it. But I'll I'll take Utah uh, minus five, um, and I think that's and I, I think Josh Rosen will probably be, you know, uh, we'll we'll see what he looks like this week. But if he's limited at all, I think it could be a, a pretty big Utah win. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on this one. I think Utah, just because of the the, the back to back, I I believe there's something to it. It's not easy to go on the road, come back, and go on the road on a short week if your quarterback's hurt, and Josh Rosen is. I mean, is there a chance, Dave, that he might just even want to shut it down anyway? Like he's not liking the way things are going, and and just I wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't bet on it just because. I mean, at that point, you've really got to wonder how much how much. I mean, and not to get into this stupid point, but. He's he will have only shown then six games his sophomore year. He will and it was like not a full six games. He got hurt in the sixth game, and then it would be uh, seven full games his junior year. I think he would probably want to put if he's available. I think he's going to want to play. Okay. Um, I think he's. I think if this team obviously goes nowhere and is in a nothing bowl, I think it would make sense for him to maybe sit the bowl game. I think that would even make sense for UCLA to have him sit the bowl game so they can get along with Devon Monster, but. Um, I, I can't imagine there's a situation where he's going to be well to play and he won't play. Um, I don't. I think he's a, a better competitor than that. And I, I think you, Utah was close, and the fact that Huntley's playing better, they just had so many mistakes, you know. So maybe they can come home and and clean up a few, clean up a few things and get a win there. But just to me, it's not that many points. It's hard to go on the road back to back, which probably means UCLA is going to come out and play their best game and just destroy them. But you know. We'll see. UCLA, always defying expectations. <laughs> um, okay, let's go to uh, our next one. This is a big one in the Pac-12. We have Stanford Cardinal. Up on the Palouse, taking on Washington State Cougars. 
So this game is on at 12.30 p.m. on Big Fox. Somehow both of these teams are still ranked. Um, so Stanford number 18, Washington State number 25. Uh, Stanford is a two-and-a-half-point dog on the road. Washington State is favored by two-and-a-half, um, which is interesting because we have no idea what's going to happen at quarterback this week for Washington State. Um but we also don't really know uh, Bryce Love's status for Stanford. And so that kind of puts all of this um, in kind of a tough spot because if Bryce Love is out again, and he's already sat out now a bye week, followed by this past game against Oregon State. Now maybe Stanford kind of went into that game thinking, okay, we can, we can win this without Bryce Love, so let's just sit him again. Uh, but he did have that boot on his ankle still. Um, so... Uh, this is a really tough one to pick because both of these teams are doing weird stuff right now. Um, if I knew KJ Costello and Bryce Love were available, I'd take Stanford. Um, but we don't know that. And Stanford without, um, without Costello starting and with, uh, Bryce Love out has not looked anything like the dominant team we saw a few weeks ago. So I'm going to take Washington State. Um, they've been better at home than they have been on the road. Um, I think they can cover this two and a half, um, and win this one outright. Okay, I'm uh, I'm I kind of agree, but I'm gonna pick Stanford here with the the caveat is if we find out during the week that there's definitely no Bryce Love and no Costello, that I might uh, give you a text and switch it. But I think I think Stanford is usually one of those teams that after they look like butt one week, they come back the next week and and look good. Um, now you could argue the same thing with Washington State; they didn't look that good, and they might maybe they bounce back, but. Um, I think Stanford, maybe they're a little bit of a revenge tour for the Washington schools. So since they're getting points, like I'm not, I don't have any confidence they could cover any spread, but I kind of feel like they're going to win this one. Um, I don't think I'll change it, but if, if something happens in a week and you know love is out and for some reason, something happened to Costello, like whatever, he robbed the bank. I, I don't know what the heck could have happened and he wasn't playing at all. Maybe I'll switch it, but I, nah, nah, screw it. I'll just stick with Stanford. There we go. How's that? That's you like great. that? There's no. That's great. That's great. I well, like this, that. No wishy-washy from you. No wishy-washy. I, I would feel better, obviously, if we knew Bryce Love was playing, but I think the power of the Stanford bounce back uh, is there, and and I just don't know what's going on. But I, I feel like Washington State could have a bounce back, too. I don't know. We'll see. For sure. Because um, both those teams didn't look very good. All right. So our next one, this is, um, you know, like what if you had like your number one and number two teams playing, Dave? That would be something pretty epic, right? What what if you had your number 12 team? Oregon State Beavers. On the road, taking on your number 11 team, out of 12, by the way. California Golden Bears. It's something else. Not, not quite epic. <laughs> uh, this game's on at 2 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network. Oregon State going on the road in Berkeley against Cal. So Cal's favored by eight right now. Um and I know I said all that nice stuff about Oregon State just a second ago, but Cal's been a different team at home. They've been a lot better at home. Um, and Oregon State's playing well, but they've been playing well particularly at home. Um, it's a different thing doing that on the road. Um, they won't have that home crowd behind them. Um, I'm going to take Cal minus eight here. Um, I think this could be a comfortable win for the Bears getting back off of it. I wouldn't be surprised if Oregon State made this a game. I don't want to say that. Um, I think they're playing with a lot of energy right now. It's just it's a different thing playing on the road, and Cal has been a lot, a lot better at home. So uh, give me the Bears, um, and I think you know Oregon State will play you know a competent game, but I just don't think they'll have it to uh, to win on the road. Dave, I'm so torn, but I I just what Corey Hall's been doing. I love the fire. I love the energy. If they can clean up a few mistakes, 
Ah, oh, man, I think I'm going to take the the beeves here. The, All right. Yeah. So we'll, you're we'll, trying to make up a couple of games this week. This is not like this. No, wasn't the plan coming in, but the way that the the energy that this team has now is it demoralizing to like? Are there moral victories? No. Um, but man, the the fire that he's had on the sidelines. They've got a couple commits this past week. I just think they're trending upward, Dave. So I'm going to take I'm going to take the beefs. All right. Um, All right. We've got some. We've got a believer. A, a, I'll work on that. I'll workshop and I'll get back to you. The the beaver believer is that what we're? You're a beaver believer. You're yeah. a yeah. I think it's just because believer is the, the same sound as beaver, and so it's really hard to make a really fun pun off of it. But you're a beaver believer. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's see. We're going to move on. Uh, so this one really interesting in the Pac-12 South. We have uh, number nine team, Colorado Buffaloes. They're the only team that's mathematically eliminated in the South, by the way. Um, and the uh, so we have our number eight team, Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> you said really interesting in the Pac-12 South, which I, I really want to dispute strongly. Uh, it was kind of a this joke, might be, and I, I don't mean to offend either fan base. This might be the least interesting game to me on Saturday. Um, Colorado traveling to Tempe, six p.m. Uh, this one is also on the Pac-12 Network. Um, Currently, Arizona State is favored by four, but this opened as Arizona State minus seven, and it has moved strongly um, in Colorado's favor. Um, ASU looked straight bad last week um, against, or literally two days ago, against USC. Um, USC is probably a more explosive offense, um, or has more explosive potential than Colorado, but Colorado just looked very explosive against um, Cal, um, which has a similar-ish defense to Arizona State, has been competent at times, but also very incompetent at other times. Um, God, I, I could go so many different ways with this. Um, I think I'll go with Arizona State, just that they'll be you know, bouncing back a little bit from that USC blowout. Um, they still have something to play for. They weren't expected to be a bullish team this year, and it looks like they're going to get to a bull if they can you know, come together a little bit here. So I'll take Arizona State minus the four. I don't feel great about it. Um, Colorado did look pretty explosive last week, but until they string it together for more than you know one game at a time, um, I, I just and if until they do it on the road, um, I'm just gonna have a hard time believing that. Um, so give me ASU to win, and uh, I'll take the minus four. I um, this is kind of another like coin flip sort of thing for me, but I my gut feeling is that we're gonna see the good Steven Montez. You're going to see him uh, play well. And, and we, you know, we saw Ronald Jones go bananas on that Arizona state defense. I think Philip Lindsay can, can do something similar. Um, man, it's just hard because they, they shut down Utah. They shut down Washington and, you know, maybe USC kind of showed some chinks in the armor there, but I, I just like the way the Colorado offense played last week, Dave. I, I feel like it's going to be that going forward. That's what's hard about this Pac-12 is it's just like flip a coin every week with some of these oh, teams. Yeah. Like, are they are they shitty Arizona State or are they good Arizona State? Like, you, you just don't know. But I'll go against you again. I'm going to take uh, I'll take Colorado here. Wow. So this could be the week that you either pull ahead or I, you know, come up with a lead that's suddenly insurmountable. Like I, I was crawling back every week, like the last four weeks, crawling back, crawling back, crawling back. You're going for the home run shot right here. And this is 
but I'm just telling you what I think is going to happen. You know, I don't, All right. it's, no, no, I appreciate I'm, it. I'm not like it. doing this to like try to catch. I've, my strategy of just like creeping back has worked really well, but I don't know. This is just a week. We just see things differently, but it's just such a, the pack of just so wacky. Um, you know, what are you going to do? Okay, so our number six team. Oregon Ducks. On the road, taking on our number one team. Washington Huskies. All right, 7 p.m. game on Fox Sports 1. Oregon at number 12, Washington. So I said up, up top, this opened at minus 26, Washington. It's now moved all the way to minus 21. Um, so it's now just a three-touchdown favorite for Washington. Um, Justin Herbert, I read a report that he was actually available to play last week if they needed him. Um, so you have to anticipate that he'll be at the worst available to play in this one as well. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he started, you know, this is kind of the gamesmanship you'll see in the PAC 12 a little bit. Um, will he be any good? That's an open question. Um, he's been practicing now for a couple of weeks, but if he's available to play, I would imagine he's going to be a step above, uh, Braxton Burmeister. But as we saw with Tyler Huntley, Sometimes it can be a, a, a an adjustment to come back to full game speed. Um, Washington is uh, very good, but Washington did present itself as pretty one dimensional last week against UCLA, and I don't think that was entirely just that you know because UCLA is a garbage rundy. I think there are some you know there's Jake Browning's had more issues this year than he had last year. Without John Ross as a big play threat, they just haven't been as explosive. Um, Oregon's defense has been decent enough um, at stopping the run, which is, you know, I, I don't know if it's the best part of Washington's offense, but it's certainly a, a significant part. Um, I'm going to take Oregon plus 21. Um, this is going to be the second time that I take a road team at Seattle on a big spread. Um, I feel slightly better about Oregon just because I know what they were able to do defensively last week against Utah, and I know... Uh, or I think I know that Justin Herbert is um, going to be somewhat available for this one, so I think they might not have to have the Braxton Burmeister show. Um, so, yeah, give me Oregon. Don't feel good about it. Like every single other game this week, I don't feel good about it. But, um, yeah, I'll take the Ducks. I've, I've gone back and forth on this one, too, and I've, I've settled on Washington, which is crazy. I, I Nuts. So they, they were good for me last week as a, as a big home favorite. Um, now this week... The fact that the lines moved, uh, you know, from twenty-seven to twenty-one, I think some of the Herbert factor is in there. But if you watch that that Oregon game, they were so one-dimensional, and I just don't think Washington's going to allow a team that's that one-dimensional to be able to to beat them. You know, I, I, Utah, I thought could handle that. They didn't. Uh, I just think Washington will. Now it's twenty-one's a lot, um, and as I don't know how many noodle arm tweets you sent out during the game last week, Dave. But a lot, you, you, a lot of noodle last week. You did send a lot of. Noodle. I was pretty good. I don't think I like made fun of them all that much. Um, and we, there you was, know, there was a lot of tweets about noodle arm. Only one tiny baby hands about Sam Darnold. Oh yeah, so there was. Uh, I actually brought that up with uh, our beat writer Dan Weber, and he was he was curious to see what. Yeah, he's like, I wonder how big his hands are. Get um, Dan, get Dan to bring out a ruler. I want him to go to practice and measure those things. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. I'll take a look at him when I'm going to practice tomorrow. I'll take shake a- his hand, and if your hand envelopes his, then we've got we've got our anecdotal. I have pretty long fingers, so I don't know. But I, I haven't measured my own hands. We'll have to see. I mean, but he's a six four quarterback. Like he should have longer fingers than you. He should. I'm six three, but yeah, he should definitely have longer fingers. Um, okay. So yeah. So I think I don't feel great about it either. I don't feel great when I pick a 
a, a Chris Peterson or a David Shaw to cover big spreads. Um, but I, I'm going to go with Washington on this one. You just could see it where he could sit on a lead and they win by like eight points or something. Uh, and they could have made it worse, but I'm going to, I'm going to take Washington. All right. All right, man. So many different games. Um, so great. And you know, end up, we'll probably, there's four of them and we'll, we'll see what happens with USC Arizona, yeah, but we'll, we'll probably just end up even after this week. Yeah. We'll just like split it. And, uh, yep. or, or I mean, the, we'll split the you'll games. Make up, you'll make up no ground. There've been some, like, I think the weeks there, there've been a couple where we had like three or four different ones and like, but it, or like three and then like we'd split one and then one guy, one guy would take a lead on one. Yep. All right, so our last one, this should be – this is really interesting in the Pac-12 South. Uh, I'm not joking this time. Arizona Wildcats. That's our number uh, four team and our number three team. USC Trojans. All right, so this game's on at 745, that beautiful primetime start for a great Pac-12 game, which everyone on the East Coast is going to enjoy. Uh, on ESPN uh, – Number 23, Arizona, at number 17, USC. This is going to be a ton of fun. Uh, USC is favored by seven. I am taking Arizona outright. Um, Khalil Tate, um, look, USC might have the formula. Maybe they do. I I think a lot of teams have tried to figure this one out. Um, USC has more team speed on defense than maybe any other team in the Pac-12, so maybe they're the ones who really crack the code. Um, but it's, again, it's like playing against video game Mike Vick. Um, Khalil Tate, I think, is going to be so explosive that it's going to be pretty much impossible for USC to deal with it. Um, Arizona's defense has been good to force a turnover or two, um, disrupt the quarterback a little. They're not a sound defense. They're not going to stop USC from, some, from getting some yards, but they can force some turnovers. They can force the issue, um, get the ball back for their offense. It's going to come down to whether or not USC can stop Khalil Tate in this offense regularly, and I just don't have confidence that they can um, with the regularity that they'll need to. Um, I think people might still be sleeping on Arizona a little bit, particularly Las Vegas. I think they're a completely different team with Khalil Tate. If Khalil Tate had been starting at the beginning of the year, and I know he was a little dinged up, but if he had been, there's no way this team loses to Utah or Houston. They would be undefeated right now, and we'd be talking about them as potential playoff team. So, uh, give me Arizona to win, uh, but certainly to cover. I'm going to agree with you because my rule is do not pick USC to cover spreads. They are two and seven against the spread, even though they they beat it obviously last week. Uh, I'm not going to jump and think that's a trend. Um, they played well twice, like I said, Stanford and ASU. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they came out and played great again and and beats Arizona by a couple touchdowns. It's not like I'd be like shocked, but get it, you know to win by seven seven points. I'm just going to take the points. Uh, Arizona, obviously, Khalil Tate's been a baller and playing really well. I think it's going to be really exciting to see what happens, but I, I can sleep well at night taking Arizona and seven points, and if I'm wrong, I'm fine with it. Great stuff. Great yeah. stuff. Yeah. Right, it should be a fun week in the Pac-12. Should we get some questions? Unlike last week, right? Um, yeah. Well, we we're talking. Do you want to do the voicemail one first? It's about the scheduling. We can. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll start off with this one. Thanks for the voicemail. Here it is. Hey, Ryan, this is, uh, Nick from Albany, uh, called a couple weeks back, but once again, after this week's, uh, time slot for the Arizona USC game was released at 1045 East Coast time, I have to really question the Pac-12's whole mode for getting eyeballs on their games. Pac-12 after dark is a neat hashtag, 
but it's not really a functional way of getting national eyes on games because everyone where I live is asleep when Pac-12 plays their games, regardless of how much you want to play up Sam Darnold or Khalil Tate, Bryce Love, or any of those things. But the biggest games played this week, this year so far in the Pac-12 have all been at 10.30 or later, to include Washington State, USC, and the, US, uh, the Stanford-Washington game in a couple of weeks, and the Arizona-USC game this week. Every single game that will determine the outcome of both divisions will be occurring after 10.30 at night, and two of them will have occurred on a Friday when no one's watching anyway. Can we figure out a way to fix this, or is there any way other than firing Larry Scott that ends this debacle? Thanks. Bye. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we touched on that a little bit earlier, but, yeah, I think um, scheduling has been an issue. I mean, some of it's a function of geography. I mean, if you're on the West Coast, you're going to – uh, play more games late at night than you know teams on the East Coast. Be- well, you're going to play more games late for the East Coast than vice versa. Obviously, um, that's just the way the the globe turns. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of some of it's um, you would think it would be something that they could figure out. Where if it's a like this game this week, Arizona versus USC, this is the best Pac-12 game of the day. Um, that should be on it. You know, something close to four o'clock, right? Or something, I mean, even if you want to put it in the middle of the day, and then it's, you know, 3.30 Eastern or 4 o'clock Eastern. Um, but putting this one on at 7.45 at night, it just ensures that Khalil Tate, again, the most explosive and exciting player in college football, no one's going to watch him, again, um, except for diehard insomniacs on the East Coast. So, yeah, I mean, it's a big issue. Um, and I don't know if there's a strategy to uh, figure it out anytime soon. Yeah, I don't think Larry, this is something that Larry Scott really cares about. They're trying to get as much money as possible. If it's a you know if it's a late game and they're the only game in town, uh, in their mind, that's a good thing. Um, if you want to play devil's advocate, I, I think a lot of the people that matter, like guys that cover the sport, will stay up and watch Pac-12 after dark. So if you're you know like a Dan Wolken from USA Today, he'll probably be watching, even though he's in Atlanta. You know, um, but the average fan certainly won't. And so if you want to talk about perception, it's it's going to be hard to kind of sway that because the average fan of college football, if you're a huge college football fan, you live in Iowa, I bet you've not seen Khalil Tate play because he's been on the Pac-12 network and you certainly don't get that there. This one will be late. Um, he probably won't watch that one. So, I mean, I get it. I think it's, a, it's about a strategy that um, what's important to a lot of the fans and what's important to get national recognition, Heisman trophies, you know, rankings, all those kind of things, getting a playoff team. It's important for the the fans of the Pac-12. It's not really important for the brass, I think. So I I just don't think anything's going to change. Yeah, completely agree. All right, should I get to an email question? Yeah. This is from our friend John in Brea, California. Dear Ryan and Dave, you have just been granted magical powers, giving you the ability to travel back in time as a fan, coach, athletic director, or conference commissioner. That's cool. However, as with most magical powers, there is a rule. You can only travel back in time once. Which of these moments in time would you return to and do differently? Number one, as Pat Hayden, October 2015, you fire Sark and name Justin Wilcox as interim head coach. Number two, as Rick Neuheisel, August 2011, the heck with redshirting him, you name freshman Brett Hundley starting quarterback. Three, as Pac-10 Commissioner, Spring 2010, you call Utah, San Diego State, Colorado, Colorado State, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State, and ask if they want to join the Pac-16. You can tell them, you can let them know you've already worked out a preliminary deal with ESPN and DirecTV. 
for as a fan november 2014 you decide not to buy the bacon wrapped hot dog after the game outside the coliseum that was grilled using a cookie sheet on a shopping cart (laughs) thanks for recording the best podcast in the history of do-it-yourself broadcasting I've got my answer, but I'm wondering if you have yours. Sure. Okay. So first of all, number four, I would do that right now. Like I would go yeah, buy, oh, yeah, 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 I would yeah. buy a bacon wrapped hot dog cooked right now on a cookie sheet. At a, yeah. At so a definitely not going back in time to not do that. No, I would, I would, I would do that over yeah. and over and over again. That made me hungry. I would like to go do that right now. Um, yeah. I don't, for number one, I don't think, you know, Sark, Wilcox, for, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that's that big of a deal for new Heisel. Same sort of thing. I would be Pac-12 commissioner. And get and make it the pack sixteen. Um, if I could do that, yeah, I would rule out the. I ruled out that Wilcox thing because I think he's also matured since then. You know, I heard a lot about him. You know, as as a when he was the DC, just you know, maybe not being ready to be a head coach. And I think he's pretty clearly matured since then. And I think he did a nice job at Wisconsin in his one year as DC there. Um, so I don't know about that one. Um, Rick Neuheisel, I can see from Rick Neuheisel's perspective why he would have wanted to do that. I think. So I guess that one I could see. I can see the angle there. I don't think it would have done any good because Rick Neuheisel was a charlatan and an awful head coach. Um, and even if Brett Hundley had started, he still would have found a way to go like six and six or something. But I, 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 I think that one is probably my answer. Number three is interesting. It's just that mix of schools. I don't know if it necessarily adds the TV money, the TV eyeballs, the leverage, all that kind of stuff that you would have necessarily wanted. I think you really did need to secure Texas. Um, yeah, I think I, I think that's that was kind of the the thing that needed to happen, whatever needed to happen to get that done. Um, well, maybe not whatever needed to happen. Obviously, Texas was trying to get a lot, but um, I think that was the missing piece there. I don't know that adding like a San Diego State or a Colorado State or even either of the Oklahoma schools necessarily gives you what Texas would have. Yeah, I think Texas would have been the, the best if you could get that. I mean, that, that's what I'd rather have done. Just made sure that happened and whatever you needed to do, Longhorn Network. All that kind of stuff. But that's a good one. Thanks for John. Um, yeah, thanks, John. You want me to read the next one? Sure. So this is from Austin. He said, hey, Ryan and Dave. My name is Austin. I'm from Salt Lake City. I'm a diehard Utes fan and a member of the MUS. Is that a is that like a disease support group or something? What is, what's the yeah, MUS? It sounds like the disease support group. I'm going to okay. go with that. <laughs> I, I, it must be some sort of Utah thing. It, no, it, yeah. It's it's like their uh, – I don't know if it's a student section. It's like the their crazy um, – I don't know if it's a certain section, but it's like, you know, they're a crazy group of fans, but it, it seems pretty cool. I've been listening to your show ever since my buddy Alex introduced uh, me to you guys at 2 a.m. while we were camping out for college game day last year. <laughs> well, thanks, Alex, for introducing. Right. Yeah. Introduce your friends, people. Pass us along like a disease. Yeah. Right? Like you're in the must. Uh, as yeah. a lifetime youth, <laughs> I'm used to having my heart ripped out at the last minute on a consistent basis. Even when we're down by quite a few points late in the game, the youths always somehow find a way to seem like they have a shot. And then blow it in the last second, like that Stanford game a couple weeks ago. But Saturday, Saturday was a different story. By the time we were down 16 nothing at halftime, I felt all hope was lost, which unfortunately was 100% accurate. After losing 11 guys in the NFL, I should have expected that we were going to have a rebuilding season. But I guess after how the first half of the season went with four wins and two close losses to great, well, after last week's Notre Dame game and last night's Oregon State game, maybe not so great teams in Stanford and USC, I feel like I had a chance. Uh, we had a chance to be pretty good this year, and maybe even finally win the South. Utah has a bunch of solid young starters that will be here for a couple more years, i.e., Tyler Huntley. But I feel somewhat optimistic about um, that. I, I'm sorry that I feel somewhat optimistic about. So I feel like we should be pretty solid team in the next couple of seasons. My questions for you guys: 
what is the Pac-12 going to look like in two years, and who will be the player to watch on each team? Uh, uh, is that right? Yeah. What is the Pac-12 going to look like in two years, and who will be the player to watch on each team? Hopefully you guys can give me some hope for the future because it feels like it's too late for this year. Uh, I look forward to hearing you guys' thoughts. You guys rock. Thanks, and go Utes. Austin from SLC. P.S. I literally took all their strength in, I had in me to not laugh out loud when I tried listening to your podcast at one half speed. I'd listen to it completely at one half speed every time if it didn't make the podcast four hours long. I Thanks, still, uh, Austin. I, I okay. still haven't done that yet. I got to try that. Yeah, it's so much fun. Um, so what is the Pac-12 going to look like in two years? So he's asking us kind of what what's the trend looking like? Um, I think you're going to see Washington still being pretty dominant up there because their defense has just been so consistently good. No matter how many people they lose and we don't see Chris Peterson leaving, right? Yeah. I think that's the sure thing in the North. I think Stanford is maybe the second most of a sure thing. Um, they'll still be pretty good in two years because they've just been pretty good for a long time. And David Shaw's managed that program well, even if we do sometimes criticize his tactical decision making. Um, Southwise, I think it's much more open. I, I don't think it's even necessarily true that Clay Helton will still be the coach at USC in two years. Um, that's been a tumultuous position for the last 10 years, and there's no reason to think it won't continue to be. Um, UCLA is obviously having its own issues. Um, I, I could see massive turnover in the South where suddenly it's ASU and Utah battling it out for the conference lead in two years. Like it, it, I, I don't think there's any way of predicting how the South is going to go. I think there's much more stability in the North where you can see Washington and Stanford both still being very good with you know teams like Washington State, Oregon, um, even Cal with Justin Wilcox, um, and you know let's not rule out Oregon State. They've been you know looking a little bit better, and if they hire a good coach, maybe um, they'll be you know back to being competitive in two years. But um, much more stability up there. But in the South, it's just so it's it's a crapshoot. Yeah, and also it's really tough. I mean, it's hard to predict what's going to happen this week, let alone in two years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like Oregon. Looks like they're on the right trajectory, but now the the SEC is going going to blow through six or seven coaches. Uh, is Willie Taggart a name that someone wants to bring back? You know, I mean, the, obviously that would derail the the kind of building rebuilding process there. Um, we just don't know what's going to happen. Like you said at USC, you see like coaching wise. I mean, it looks like Arizona, Arizona State, we're both going to get rid of their guys now. Rich Rod, coach of the year. Um, so, and Khalil Tate, you know, running over people. Uh, we're just not really sure. Arizona State looked like they were back, and then they took a huge step backwards. You know, do they bounce back this week? Um, it's really hard to tell. But I think you, you talk about stability in a coaching staff. I don't think Chris Peterson's going anywhere. You feel like they can always rebuild, even when they lose guys. Stanford the same sort of way. So I think those are the two that you would feel, and they're you know they're one and two in our power rankings right now. Those are the two I'd feel most comfortable with. I know like a USC is always going to have a lot of talent and they just have this, they're always going to have that potential to be really good. And people are always going to talk them up. Um, you got to see them be a little more state. Now, if they beat Arizona and USC fans are going crazy. If they beat Arizona state and Arizona back to back weeks, they win the South, you know, have a chance to win the North and go to like the Fiesta bowl or something. Yeah. USC fans are like, well, why'd you get blown out by Notre Dame? Why'd you lose on the road to Washington state? But you know, doing two like, New Year's Six Bowls in a row would be pretty good. That would add some stability. But they could also lose two of their next three games, so it's just really hard to say. Yeah, and uh, if you're asking me who's going to be good in the Pac-12 individually in the next couple of years, I like. I mean, who knows? But yeah. uh, I will say one of them is Khalil Tate, yes. who's just a sophomore, um, which is freaky. Um, and I, he's not an NFL prospect, or he doesn't right. look like one. Um, so 
he's he's going to be dominant. Um, Tyler Huntley's a guy. I mean, I think he's going to be a special player in two years. So I think there's uh, there's uh, some guys all over the place, but it's just too hard to predict two years out because who would have said two years ago that Bryce Love is going to be you know the most dominant running back in college football, right? Just right now, yeah. All right, next question. You ready? Yeah. All right, uh, rebuilding UCLA football. Hello, Dave, whose Twitter is more aggressive than the UCLA defensive scheme, and Ryan, who is far less offensive to the ears than the USC marching band. <laughs> so I'm going to call the Jim, Ora, Jim Mora era at UCLA dead. Whether he's fired now or later, it's dead, and fan base enthusiasm, if he's still here next year, is going to be awful. If he's fired this year, how long would a good coach staff take to fix things? Do we have the parts next year that someone could come in and succeed immediately, or are we in rebuild territory? And if we're in rebuild territory, how much damage could another bad year under Mora do to the length of that re- rebuild? Ryan, what would I have to pay you to allow a fully jacked up trolling Dave to appear on your next emergency post game podcast? Finally, Dave, will we look? Okay, let me let's just take these in order. Okay. All right. So the Mora stuff, the serious question first. Um, how long would a good sta- staff take to fix things? Not long. Good. Uh, so. UCLA has recruited really, really well. Um, even with the lack of success over the last couple of years, they've still produced basically top 20, top 25 classes. It doesn't take long to rebuild when you've got a good staff um, in place. Um, you start seeing guys who you thought weren't very good suddenly start playing a lot better, and it's because they're getting better coaching, they're in a better scheme, they're you know more motivated, whatever. So um, I think if they you know say say they go four and eight this year, and Jim Mora gets fired or decides to leave or whatever and they hire a new good coach, they could easily go 9-3 and three next year. I mean, it's not – that's that's completely in the realm of possibility. Um, I, I, you can never underestimate or overestimate overestimate the uh, the effect of a uh, of a potentially good coach. So, no, I don't, I don't think – it's not like basketball where you can – well, basketball, like a program can get cratered, and then it might take a full recruiting cycle to get it back to being pretty good. But for UCLA football, because the talent base in the program, aside from like at the very tail end of Durrell, when Rick Neuheisel really did have not much talent to work with his first year, um, there's just generally enough talent in the program that a new coach is going to have enough to work with. Yeah, I agree with you there. And as far as like, no, I would have Dave on. You don't have to pay me to have him on uh, <laughs> to an emergency podcast. Now, it would definitely be more fun to have him on. Like, So I did one in the uh, Phoenix airport. So this was great. So I flew in Saturday morning. I flew to Tempe, hung out on Mill Ave, uh, met some people, and watch games. They didn't have a Pac-12 network, by the way. I, I should have mentioned this at the top. So I'm in Mill Ave like at like 11 o'clock, and the USC doesn't play till 7:45. So all I'm going to do is watch college football until I go to the stadium. And that I couldn't find a bar that had the Pac-12 network, so I had to have my tablet on the table watching uh, whatever that first. I think it was like the Colorado uh, Utah game, or so I don't know, whatever it was, the first game. I'm watching that on my tablet with all these other games on there. People are looking at me funny. Um, but I would have, so I didn't get out of the press box till like 2.30 in the morning, got a ride to the airport, and my flight's at 5.20 in the morning. So I didn't have any luggage. I just was there for the day, you know. But I did a emergency podcast. It was like a reverse emergency because they, they won um, in the airport. But I could have, it was like 7 in the morning by the time I started recording for Dave's time. So I could have had you on that time, You Dave. could have had me on easily. Yeah, but you it wasn't, it. but it would be less, he wants a, a full trolling Dave, like, so right. USC, you got to hit, hit me at like 2 a.m. then. Well, but it's also – it would have to been like – USC would have had to lose. It would have had like after the Notre Dame game or something. All right. So uh, this week um, yeah. at, at 3 in the morning after the game ends, uh, you just give me a call. 
Okay, yeah. So if, if like, say Arizona, if After Arizona Khalil Tate has run for four hundred yards yeah. and five touchdowns, we'll we'll have a nice conversation on okay. the podcast. So okay. that, that'll be good. So if Arizona blows out USC, by the time I get home, it'll be like two something in the morning or three. Like, so let's see I, how many subscribers to your website that you can lose with a single <laughs> piece of content. I think, but at that point, they would agree with you. So I don't think it's like. That's the funniest thing about a lot of the USC fans on Twitter is um, so many of them are just like, yeah, yeah, you're uh, <laughs> you're the voice we need right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there would be like there would be some that would hate like there would. Obviously, oh, there's, but, there, there are definitely those who are like, hey, I, I, I like that podcast you do with Ryan, but um, can you can you stop trolling USC so much? Like, no, it's in my blood. Um <laughs> And then finally, it says, finally, Dave, will we look back on UCLA becoming awful in football as the curse of Jeff Strand being fired? Um, no, because wasn't it before 2014 that that happened? I think it was. So Jeff Strand was the old time uh, UCLA cheerleader who would uh, cheer uh, on from like the sideline. And I, I, as part of the, the Bruin revolution or whatever, um, he, he was asked not to do it anymore because it was kind of a little embarrassing for some people. Was uh, it the towel? But, the towel? Wait, no, no. This was the guy who wore like the full like old school uh, cheerleader oh, yes. okay, yeah. with like the blue and gold striped sweater shirt and a beret. And uh, it just it I think it was a, it just looked a little small time to some people. And so it uh, it went the way of the dodo. Oh, all right. All right. Should uh, we get to Scott's? Uh, this one? Yeah. I'll, I'll, you want me to do it? Yeah. Go OK. For it. So, hey, Ryan and Dave, instead of banging your heads against the wall trying to do power rankings make it easy on yourselves oregon state colorado and ucla are 12 11 10 cal 9 utah's 8 then put the rest in a bag and work your way from seven down to one uh of your top three teams last week number one stanford cannot complete a pass downfield and literally threw more to the beavers who just couldn't catch them than their own guys but at least they tried which brings us to number two washington who threw to a a total of 11 passes, and Drake Browning's longest attempt from the line of scrimmage to anyone, let alone a wide receiver, was seven yards downfield. This has become, for Washington, a case of not only can't they do it, but they don't trust Browning and the offense to even try it. This looks like Peterson's first year up here, where after eight games, the leading receiver on the team was a tight end with 18 catches. Number three, Washington State who has become an offense with 20 to 25 natural runs and another 20 check down slash passes to, to backs out of the backfield that will get four yards or, in reality, just a long handoff. The Cougars' offense hasn't looked right all year with Falk, who doesn't want to throw it downfield, just like Washington, but at least it's better than the Cardinal. So my question is, if you had to pick one team from the Pac-12 to win a game against a team ranked 6 to 10, I'm not going to ask about anyone beating 1 through 5 because that's simply not happening who would it be? My pick would be ASU, which makes me want to both laugh and cry as I type it. Thanks for the POD, uh, and go, thanks for the POD and Go Dogs, Scott and Washington State. I think it was pod. Thanks for the pod. POD. Uh, yeah. Is that pod. puddle of something? I, think, I mean, unless he meant POC. But <laughs> I think That's kind of what I thought he meant, and then he didn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, he also followed up later, uh, and this is why you should never email before all the games have been played. Leach benches Falk, and while his backup is more mobile and throws it downfield, he is an experienced QB who is a turnover machine. In addition, welcome back, ASU. That's the Sun Devil team we've grown to know and love for the last several years under Todd Graham. Still same question. What team from the conference would you feel most confident with to win a game against the top 6-10 to 10 team on a neutral site? So the question is, 
pick one team from the Pac-12 to win a game against a team ranked 6-10, to 10, who would it be? I'm not sure I understand the question. I think, okay, so if you had, so someone that was ranked in the top 10 nationally, but 6 through 10, which team out of the Pac-12 would oh, you? Oh, okay. I think that's okay. what he means. Um, I might just pick USC. It's USC, yeah, because the talent level is enough that they could play up in a game. Yeah. Um, I would I would consider Washington, too. Um, even Stanford, but I, I'd probably go with USC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on, I, didn't, I didn't see it was a denim, so thanks for that. Yeah, I was like, Arizona State, like, did he, was it was that sent before the game? <laughs> yeah, before the games. Oh. Uh, and then uh, Brent has a point to make, farthest in conference travel. Pretty sure Ryan thought that Pullman to Tucson was the farthest at 1332 miles. The farthest is actually Seattle to Tucson at 1536 miles. Love the laid back podcast. Thanks, Brent. Um, Um, And then want me to do Nick's rundown? Oh, sure. Yeah. Hi, this is Nick from Cypress, a.k.a. Big Nick 21, USC from the P. Stanford 15 versus Oregon State 14. You'll notice Oregon State is now spelled correctly. It's not spelled G-A-R-B-A-G-E. KJ Costello wins a tough one with 20 seconds, no Bryce Love. OSU is still winless in the Pac-12 and will be last in the power rankings. I see them going 1-11 and 0-9 in conference. Cal 28 versus Colorado 44. First Pac-12 win versus conference foe for Colorado. Cal is below 500 now. It's going to be tough going bowling this offseason. UCLA 23 versus UW 44. UW owned the game from the first second to the last. UCLA has an injury to Rosen left after the third quarter. Moron. I think think he misspelled Mora. Just (laughs) rife with typos here. Moron losing (laughs) control in Westwood. Utah 20 versus Oregon 41. Both teams are not that good, but Utah is looking good is not looking good at all. Does both teams go, do both teams go bowling? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think so. Yes. Both teams go bowling. I think uh, so. U of A 50. Go ahead. No, yeah, I think so. I think there's going to be a lot of like mediocre, like nine bowl teams, but not a like great teams. Exactly. U of A 58 versus Washington state 37. K Tate is a beast and has lined up, uh, the, uh, a big game next week in the Coliseum Coliseum to settle who wins pac 12 South. Washington State has too many losses in the schedule to win the Pac-12 North. Uh, USC 48 versus ASU 17. USC owned this game from the start. No turnovers, finally, from Sam. Uh, he had one. He had one. Uh, yeah. Defense of USC played well. ASU was never close to USC. I was at the game. Got to say, no other Pac-12 school has the fun Tempe has. Questions. Who does K Tate remind you of? Um, no human player. Yeah, uh, like Superman? Video game Michael Vick. Video game Michael Vick is who he reminds me of. Um, question on Chip Kelly. Which job do you think he takes, Texas A&M or Florida? I don't know. That Florida stuff was really kind of crazy. Um, I mean, it's just insane what's kind of going on down there. Tennessee still doesn't have it. I mean, there's going to be openings and then aggressive behavior. I mean, they're going to be going after anyone that they think can coach. You know, there's Gruden's and they, like all this stuff. So I, I really don't have any clue right now. Um, but it's, it's going to be fun to watch. Like This is going to be – there's so many pissed-off fans, especially in the SEC. You feel bad for, like, an Oregon State. They're going to be, like, like trying to find a great coach. And I'm sure they will. But down in the SEC country, it's going to be, like, buyouts. and all, I mean, it's going to be nuts. Yeah, for sure. I have no idea. Um, I, I think he he's going to have his pick of a few different jobs. And then last question is, how many first-round picks can you see being drafted in the conference? Fight on. Um, God, that's a tough question. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know enough. Um, 
I saw one guy this weekend, Vita Vea, who I think should be. Um, he's a freaky defensive tackle. He's like 350 pounds, but moves really, really well. So he's very good for Washington. Josh Rosen will be a first-round pick for UCLA. Uh, Sam Darnold, if he goes, will probably still be a first-round pick, even if um, there are some maybe more questions this year after last year. But um, I don't know enough about yeah. you know the, the draft analysis stuff. We'd, we'd be leaving dudes off that we shouldn't. So, yeah, um, we have to kind of look all that stuff up. All right, uh, you may read Anthony's. Do it. Hey, Ryan and Dave, who is the most exciting team to watch in the Pac-12 and outside the Pac-12? Um, you want to just we'll answer yeah. that first? Uh, number one is Arizona in the Pac-12. Yeah. Number two uh, is Arizona in the Pac-12. Yeah, um, and then outside the Pac-12, um, it was fun to watch. Penn State's pretty fun. Penn State's fun. I honestly had a lot of fun watching Notre Dame. Um and not just cynically against USC. I thought they were a lot of fun to watch against NC State, too. Um, no SEC. T- well, Georgia's actually not horrible yeah, to they're watch. Yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of fun. Like, Alabama's not really fun. Alabama is a chore to watch. Um, <laughs> Big 12 teams in general are generally pretty fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, Oklahoma State can be fun to watch. I watched them against Texas, and that was not a fun game to watch. But, yeah, Arizona is the most exciting team to watch in the Pac-12 and probably the most exciting team to watch in the country for me right now. Yeah. And he said, rate in order uh, from the most exciting to least exciting to watch. Okay, so he's giving uh, one, two, three, six things to – got to rate these. So what's the six? Things. Is seven there seven things. things? There's seven things in that in that final one. There's oh, two. there's two things in the final one. Okay. Um, I thought that was grouped together, but we'll see. Okay. No, 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 no. Okay, those no. are separate. Okay, they're we're going to – Different, entirely different. <laughs> We're going to separate those out. Okay. Uh, we have bowling. Um, I kind of like when they do the two-handed thing. That's kind of neat to watch. Yeah, uh, baseball, I watched that last night till I fell asleep, the World Series. So that's got to be up there. Uh, NASCAR, I don't really like to watch. I've, I went to one in person, and that was pretty cool. But watch on TV, no. Uh, golf, I do enjoy watching golf. AAU basketball, uh, <sighs> UCLA 2016 offense. And the UCLA 2017 defense. Thank you from Anthony. Can I start? Sure, yeah, yeah. The most exciting thing to watch on this list is, of course, the UCLA 2017 defense, because at least something exciting is happening on the field every time they take the field. Fair. Um, The the 2016 offense is probably the least exciting thing because it was a nerd. And um, (laughs) an object at rest tends to stay at rest, if I'm remembering my thermodynamics um so that that'll be the spectrum for me it's from from the 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 inert level of ucla's 2016 offense to the excitement of other teams playing offense against ucla's 2017 defense all right i like that well let's put the ones in the middle and see where they go all right so where do you stand on so among those five are we saying baseball is the most exciting nascar i I would say i would say baseball i would put baseball there I'll, I'll agree. I think NASCAR is probably number two there just because, you know, the cars are moving fast. There can be some fun stuff. Yeah, the crashes. Uh, like, you know, there's – if you're talking pure, like, excitement, I would put, like, crashes and stuff. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Um, golf, I would say, is number three for me. I like watching uh, – you know, if if it's if there's nothing else on on, like, a Sunday morning, I'll watch I'll watch a little bit of golf. Yeah. I'm not opposed to that. I do, I do like watching, especially, like, big tournaments. I like you know, some of the drama. It's not like you're – there's hitting and stuff, but you know, I, I, I like enjoy playing golf. So like, you know, watching golf, uh, you know, seeing how these guys do. Okay. I, now, I did go throw, to the, if you, the if Western you throw tennis on this list. Tennis would be number one for me. 
but but golf is yeah it's fine uh i went to the western management open and that was like a party so the oh, uh, golf yeah and like in scottsdale i mean that's life hack for everyone out there if you ever get a chance just go to a golf tournament yeah. it's so drunk and stupid <laughs> and you get to like stand like 10 feet away from these dudes like trying to putt and you're kind of yelling stuff sometimes because you're drunk and it's just the one oh, it's something the, else the stadium like the i think it's the 16th hole at the at the one yeah. in scottsdale where it's like it's basically like a football it's like you know and I, I had a dude i think byron wesley threw me a shoe like a signed shoe i caught so i have it it's in my office actually um it was like we were there like three hours early everyone's just drinking and just kind of waiting for the golfers to come through having caddy caddies race to the green one guy fell i mean it, it was pretty fun yep that that sounds 100 percent like every golf experience i've ever had um <laughs> And then I would put bowling above AAU basketball. Yeah, I have zero interest in watching AAU basketball. So it is, it is, it is, it is so awful. Um, <laughs> it is, it like reduces your like the the like human spirit that you have. It like it reduces your faith in humanity. Just watching AAU basketball, just joyless, terrible, constant basketball. That's what an AAU tournament is. Maybe like so, Lonzo, Lonzo Ball's teams, like if he like yells at ref- referees or anything, would that be? Lonzo Ball, um, his teams played the most unwatchable AAU basketball ever. It was just get the ball out of the net, don't play any defense, and then just throw full court passes, lay it in, and then don't play any defense, let them score, and then throw full court pass, lay it in. Over and over and over again, it was unwatchable. Wow. All right. Um, all right, so truth rankings. Want me to do this? Oh, this is uh, – oh, we had a lot of rankings. People like uh, – Yeah, they yeah. like this. They, they love us not even being able to keep track of all these things. <laughs> all right, so truth rankings. You ready for this? Yes. Hey, Dave and Ryan. Let's rank the following stories, narratives from mostly true to flat out false. One, Josh Rosen is a spoiled brat. His teammates hate him, and he's softer than toilet paper. Uh, so is this a ranking or should we just rate each statement? I don't think that's very true at all. I think that's more. I think that's mostly false. Yes. Um, two, Pac-12 coaches aren't the biggest fans of Todd Graham. Ooh. Going to go mostly true. Yeah, probably mostly true. But I I think he's done a great job the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah. yeah. But I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he cares that they're not the biggest fans of Todd Graham. Yeah. But I don't think they're the biggest fans of Todd Graham. I can think of at least one coach who really doesn't like him. Um, three, uh, he misspelled this one. I think it's the dollar sign UC thing. Are we, yeah. we're, we're guessing that's USC, right? Yes. Yeah. I think he said right. suck with a, a, with a dollar sign. No, S. Yeah. It's weird. Um, uh, suck. Uh, sorry. USC runs a clean program. Kidding. Ryan, you don't have to answer that. <clears throat> um, we don't have to, or I will, if you want, like, you, you don't have to. Oh, what do you, um, what do you think? Dave? Give me your answer. What do you think? I would say mostly true. There's because there's I've seen you know there's a lot of incompetence going on. It's not like I think if you would say like Alabama or LSU, you have to like cheat to win and all. This, I I just don't. Especially after the the sanctions came down, they're so overly compliant about everything. It's ridiculous. Like to the point where we're not allowed to take a picture of a recruit that's at a football game. Like in in public view of 90,000 people we're not allowed to like take pictures of them and i get pictures all the time from other places they're so like overly compliant right now it just doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like there's any interest there to kind of you know they can go along and just get five-star dudes that fall in their laps all the time and 
and hire coaches that no one else would hire and still win games. So I, I just, I don't see it as being like this kind of dirtily run program. But what do you think? I think that's probably fair. Um, and I don't, I, I, I hate speculating about that stuff because it sounds like such wild, sour grapes most of the time. Like, look, all school, like literally every school you have ever heard of cheats at some level or another. Like, they're all doing something. Now, the degree to which they're doing things, who cares? I mean, yeah, the SEC is playing a different sport in that regard. Yes. Like, they're all paying money to everybody, and we all know it, and everybody knows it, and it's whatever. It's an open secret. Everyone else is doing varying degrees of cheating, whether it's calling a guy an extra time or whatever it is. Um, so I don't, I just don't like getting into the speculation because once you start doing that, you're opening. Like, so you're a fan of a team and you say USC is a cheating program. Well, would you like to know that X is what's happening at your school? Because it is. Um, so it's just, you know, I think everyone likes to do the virtue signaling with how they, you know, how they're fans of a program. But look, everybody's a little bit dirty. And it's it's stupid because yeah. most of these rules are stupid, but whatever. Um, four, UCLA doesn't have the resources to annually compete for the Pac-12 title. Pants I'm... on fire falls. <laughs> I'd say mostly true. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, <laughs> false. <laughs> uh, what they don't have, like historically, ever since like Red Sanders died in a hotel room, is the coach to annually compete for the Pac-12 title. But they definitely have the resources, especially now. Five, Clay Helton is on the hot seat. Yeah, I'd say mostly false after that one. Now, if, But they could still lose a couple games and not win the South, and then there might be some rumblings. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mostly false. Yeah, I would go with that. Jim Mora is on the hot seat. Probably mostly false, but I don't know. What do you think? Uh, mostly false, but a little less mostly false than Clay Helton. I would say it's like probably some false. Okay. It's like on that spectrum. It's not neutral. I would say it's still on the some false spectrum. But um, if they go four and eight, it's going to trend over to the mo- into the the somewhat true standpoint. And I don't know if that'll be enough to do it. But um, the, the, he's in a position where he's got to win some games here. Um, I think to make himself fully secure heading into the off season. And then seven, Mike Leach is looking for a better job. I don't know enough. Yeah, I don't I'm either. I'm not going to say flat out false, but I don't know enough. There, there seems to be some sort of yeah rumblings, but I, yeah, I don't really know. Like, you know, I've talked to people. Like, you know, my wife's a big Tennessee fan. Hey, what about would Leach want to go to Tennessee? And and she was thinking like, well, it's just he's not Southern enough. Like sometimes there's just jobs. He's so quirky that certain some of the big jobs that are opening up, they might not want to have him for that quirkiness. Which I would love to hire him for you know that kind of stuff, but. I just don't know enough if he's really looking or not. The next question is my favorite question of all time. Are you are you going to read it? Uh, yes, from Joshua. He says, who gets to the end zone first? A Jake Browning 40-yard pass or Khalil Tate running the 40-yard dash? I mean, Okay, so let's talk about this. Okay. So Jake Browning, a uh, 40-yard pass, we would call that an arm punt, correct? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so what's the average hang time on a punt that goes 40 yards? Uh, like three point. Hold on, I'm googling it right now. Okay. So average hang time for a coffin punt in the NFL, which is something that goes about 40 yards, depending on where they're on the field, is 4.4 seconds. Um, an open field punt is 4.44 seconds. Now, Jake Browning isn't throwing with that level of loft, right. but there is a decided, decidedly greater amount of loft than there is with, say, a quarterback with NFL potential. Yes. So, um, let's say it's so. So, no, 
So his his forty yard pass is going to get there quicker than yes. Khalil Tate, who probably runs somewhere in the four four range. But it's a close thing. <laughs> like it would be a close race. <laughs> like it's not like it's it's a joke. And I think if you started it as like Khalil gets to start running as Browning is rearing back to throw, I think then suddenly you're talking about you know Tate might win. You yeah, know, you're talking about release. Like he doesn't have the quickest release in the world. Yeah. So I think if if we're factoring the release in, I think Tate Tate takes that. But I think if uh, if Browning if Brown if we're just talking about when the ball is out of his hand, um, it's going to be tough for Tate to run that you know four one or whatever yeah. it would have to be to get there. But that's a great question, Joshua. I love that. That yeah. was fantastic. That was that that made this podcast. I feel bad. Like we've trolled Jake Browning so much. I feel bad now. I just want to kind of back off at some, <laughs> but like. I mean, I, I think he's a great kid. He's a, you know, he's a really good quarterback, but there's just certain things he's not. And I think sometimes people are like pumping up the things that he really isn't. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Like you can be a great quarterback and not have certain aspects. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like, yeah, like, like an arm. Um, <laughs> Earl in West LA, Dave and Ryan. Assuming the Pac-12 champion is not in the Final Four, what is the prize for the best team in the Pac-12 and Big Ten if the Rose Bowl is only going to host the semifinal game? The Rose Bowl is something special, and it is a shame teams from these two storied conferences can't get the prize they play for every year. How does this format work? Will it be the same every year? No, this year it's a semifinal game, so that's the only reason it is not. Um, uh, you know, it's in its rotation period where it's um, a semifinal game, which means that it's taken out of the general bowl area. I think what is it like the 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 stadium that hosts the national title game gets to still host its like general bowl game, right? I think so. Yeah, I know it's all but kind the of confusing. semifinal teams don't. I don't know. We're ignorant um, because that's just our general standpoint on things. <laughs> I think it is kind of lame. Um, I would love for there to be a Rose Bowl game in addition to the semifinal, but it would just screw up the schedule a little bit because yeah. you're trying to play those semifinals on um, the 31st or the first, depending on the year. And the Rose Bowl is a game that is played on the first. Um, and so if you if you screw that up a little bit, then when are you going to play the Rose Bowl? Like the Rose Bowl game between the Pac-12 and the Big Ten? Is it going to be the week before? Is it going to be on Christmas Day? Um, or are they going to bump the semifinals out? Like I think it just becomes kind of a scheduling issue. Um, but I, I think for this year, it's what? The Fiesta Bowl is the most likely yeah. pac Winner that's, who doesn't make the playoff. Yeah, that's what it looks like, and uh, I'm not even sure. Like, if they could do that, the city of Pasadena might not want another game. Yeah, there could be a lot of regulations against it. I think when when the when the Rose Bowl is the title game, can it be the title game? I don't. I think it is. I think it can be the title game. When it's the title game, there will be an additional Rose Bowl, I believe, because it's like the January 9th versus or January 12th or whatever day is the national championship game. Yeah. Um, plus the the Rose Bowl game itself, but um, when it's a semifinal game, I think it's just the scheduling issue. And please tweet us how stupid we are. Please, please let us know. Um, we always wish to know exactly how dumb we're being. Yeah, which we can be That's sometimes. It. That's it for us. We have no more email questions. Do we have any on Twitter? Uh, I, you know, I looked on Twitter this morning. I didn't see a ton of stuff. There was um, what was some of the talk about? Uh... Hey, let's go look at it real quick. There was. Um... Talk about some of the tweets that we had. I think you tweeted a couple of things that people um, 
All right, so I tweeted that the people were talking about the KJ Costello thing or David Shaw being stubborn. I think a lot of people reacted to that. Um, someone wanted to know, sad Donald Trump, uh, where are the Dodgers in the podcast of Champions Power Rankings? That's interesting. I mean, if they fielded a football team, I mean, they'd probably be in the top three. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about um, UCLA's run to defense is all we can count on. I think I tweeted that the Pac-12 is drunk. Nothing makes sense from week to week. And you said UCLA's run defense is all we can count on. And Matt tweeted us, you can still rely on Utah's punting, uh, LMAO. Um, yeah, Utah's still good at punting. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's good. But yeah, there wasn't, I didn't think there was too much kind of going on. We got, you know, got some new follows. And did, some... You, uh, did you listen to Brock Huard? How do we pronounce his last name? Heward? Heward, I think, yeah. Uh, his is – so when Rosen went out, um, he had two obvious hand injuries. Uh, made a bloody right hand, and he was flexing the left hand the whole game. But we don't know um, what else he had going on, uh, judging by the number of hits he took and you know slamming his body into the ground over and over and over again. You can guess that maybe there was some other stuff going on. Uh, Heward started kind of speculating on – uh, the broadcast about Rosen's toughness, how he'd be evaluated by NFL scouts and GMs uh, based on his toughness and whether he had any commitment and, you know, you know, and then the sideline reporter got in on it and him not talking to other players on the sideline um, again, after he had already taken several hits where he'd been slammed into the ground with, you know, potential injuries coming from that that, you know, we could all speculate about that have nothing to do with his hands. Um, what did you – did you, were you paying attention to all this? Did you hear any of this stuff? I what did. did you think? No, I, unfortunately I didn't because I was watching with the sound off. Um, right. What, what did you think about it all? Well, I just thought – it just seemed weird to me um, because it was like – so Rosen's a guy who's most likely going into the draft process in two months, and there's been a narrative that's followed him since he was – 16 years old that I think was pretty legit. I mean, you followed him a little bit in high school. Um, I think it was pretty legit when he was a young kid. Um, I think he had some maturity issues, some other stuff going on. But by all accounts, especially the last two years at UCLA, he's been a model citizen, model leader, um, the whole deal. Teammates love him, the whole shebang. And it still seems like there's this narrative that follows him that he's not tough and all this other kind of nonsense that, you know, if – Anybody who plays football and takes hits over and over again is some version of tough. Like, I'm, I'm not sitting here trying to play football. Like, I'm, I'm gonna like if you hit me once, I'm like, all right, no, I'm not playing that sport. I'll play something else. I'll play volleyball like Ryan does. Um, and it's just it's such a weird narrative. And I think it. I, I thought the game, the commentary from Brock and from the sideline reporter, I thought just kind of stepped over. Like, just you know. Oh, well, we don't know what's going on with Rosen. Um, and, you know, this is going to be something, you know, we'd have to monitor for and for NFL draft purposes. This is something they're going to want to see. But they belabored it for like 10 minutes of just constant speculation about his injury status and then his leadership and his toughness and all this other stuff that I just felt was, I don't know, I thought it was a little overboard. Um, but I'm interested to hear what other people thought because maybe I was looking at that through, you know, I've known, I've known Josh since he was, again, like 15 or 16. So maybe I have some bias built in there, but I'd be interested to hear what other people thought of that. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I agree with you there. It's, uh, I mean, we saw that the heart, I mean, I think he answered a lot of questions in the, the Texas A&M game. Um, obviously, 
it's not that you know he doesn't have the greatest cast around him. He's doing a lot on his own. He shoulders you know shoulders a lot of the team. And I think when you're looking at a, a draftable, you know, NFL product uh, prospect, and they see stuff like that, they're like, yeah, man, he's a guy that can carry a team. And I think when we, you make fun of Jake Browning, he's great with the whole system in place. Like if you put Jake Browning on UCLA, like what would would you ever want to be talking about him? Like probably not. Um, so yeah, I, I think he probably gets a bad rub now. Early, like you said, early on in his career. Uh, or maybe in high school, there was certain things that you would say, and those kind of stick with you, unfortunately. Even if uh, you know you've changed as a player, so yeah, I, I didn't hear what Brock had to say, but that's uh, some of that stuff just seems like I don't know, it just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. He's he's definitely a tough kid. Um, you know, if, if he doesn't come back for other reasons, and it's just because he's going to you know work on his draft stuff, I, I don't think I'd. I wouldn't fault the kid at all because, like, it's just it's just been tough on him. But he's I think he showed a lot this season for when he's been able to be in there. Yeah, completely agree. All right, well, that's uh, it for me. Yeah, me too. Uh, good stuff. So it was kind of a butt week in the Pac-12, but we uh, we made the best of it. It should be really exci- yeah. yeah. Well, it should be exciting week uh, week ten, right? Yeah, week a lot 10. of a lot of picks are different. Uh, keep tweeting us and uh, send in those voicemail questions and email questions. We love answering them and talking about the Pac-12. Um. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. USC's got a late game, so I should be able to watch a lot of the games before that. So that should be cool. Yeah, yeah, it should be a a lot of fun uh, mm-hmm. being able to watch. And I've and I'm going to be watching a Friday game for UCLA, so I'll be able to devote you know because I have to watch every minute of UCLA. Oh uh, yes, for for reasons job related. But when they play on a on a Friday night, I get to watch. And I think the way the schedule is shaping up. It'll only be like two games on concurrently, which I can manage really easily with just, you know, prop up a phone or a tablet or whatever and watch the other game on the TV. So I'm feeling great about this. I think it's going to be a great week of uh, watching Pac-12. Yeah, it uh, should be good starting on Friday night. Hey, uh, our buddy Kyle Bonagora tweeted this right as we we're signing off. I'll read it to you. He said, over the last four weeks, Arizona's averaged 3.62 points per drive which if you're an advanced analytics person, that seems like it'd be a lot, and 9.37 yards per play. Uh, it has scored touchdowns on 46% of drives. Those numbers seem kind of ridiculous, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 like, no joke, I think we're all going to be, like, if if they pull it off this weekend, which I am predicting, but I also predicted ASU would win that game last week, but um, if they pull it off this weekend, we're suddenly going to be talking about Arizona, like, whoa, where did they come from? And I think that's suddenly going to be the national conversation, and Cleo Tate's going to suddenly start getting a lot more attention. They're really, really, really good uh, suddenly, yeah. and it's fun to watch. And the better he gets, the more you're saying, why the hell wasn't he playing earlier? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Rich Rod's been asked, and it's like, well, he didn't do that well in practice. And, you know, I get some of that. I get, you know, certain things about certain quarterbacks' games. It's hard to simulate in practice when you can't, you know, especially running. Like, I mean, you can see a guy that can run, but does he get away from pressure? Does he have a sense for it? You know, feel for the rush and all that kind of stuff. That maybe you just, you know, you blow a play dead in practice, but in a game, it's a different story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll see. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up. For David Woods, I am Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for spending an hour and 58 minutes of your day to listen to our podcast of champions. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back again next week talking Pac-12 football. <laughs>